He thought he was in control. How wrong he was. Hey, what's up? Shane with Dynamis Media, and I'm joined here with Stefan. That's me, and also hopefully the microphone didn't pick up that I just bumped my hand and I was moving away from clicking record. <laughs> and you're tuning into The Dark Side Drive-In, which is our horror theme uh, podcast where we review movies from the 80s, sometimes 90s, sometimes 70s. And um, this is one of those ones that's going to straddle that uh, 80s, 90s um, time frame. We'll probably get into why, um, but... What are we uh what are we gonna cover today, Stefan? We're going to talk about Warlock from uh some say nineteen eighty nine and some say nineteen ninety one. Which one is it? It was actually nineteen eighty nine. Okay. But yeah. I mean I guess if you really want me to dive into it right now, I can say why that is. No. Yeah, go okay. ahead. All right. <laughs> the uh the actual com- production company was uh New World Pictures. Uh New World uh they did, did their premiere in, I believe it was uh, the UK and Australia uh, in 1989. Then New World went under. Uh, their assets got picked up by a company called Trimark, uh, and they didn't release it in the United States until 1991. So sometimes when you uh, go to watch it, like I think on Tubi, it actually says 1991. It uh, does. But other sources will say 19, yeah, 1989. So it, it really does uh, straddle a line depending on where you were in the world, is whether or not you actually got to see it in one year or the other. Yeah, so I don't think there's any caveats with this movie. There were a couple early scenes that I was like kind of cringing a little bit, but um, the uh, this is actually a pretty decent movie. Um, definitely <laughs> has some of the... Like, I know this is the late 80s, but you definitely can tell it's like a 90, product of like the 90s um, when you're watching it, especially some of the effects. You're like, okay, I, I totally get this. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, we'll get there. Uh, pretty good movie raves, Shane. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, look, it's not a prowler, you know. But we'll, I mean, we'll get. They can't it. all be. They can't all be show prowlers. over. We they just, can't all be yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, killer clowns from outer space. They can't all be that. That was such a good movie. If you guys haven't listened to it, go check that episode out. Uh, we had a blast with that one. Um, yeah, this one we're not going to have a blast with. Well, I mean, those are your words, not mine. So. <laughs> They are my words. I said them. I was here. So we have no apologies. We have. Uh, I mean, I guess technically I could apologize that I've still not done that review yet. Oh, yeah. It's because I haven't actually finished that last watch through of uh, the movie of Unwelcome. I keep intending to like finish it and then I'll be like, and then I'll write that review. And then I've been like distracted by so many other things going on. So, yeah, uh, like, hopefully now like that like my. Yeah, Starfield was definitely up there. Yep. Because, uh, like, I got Starfield. I did the early access because I was going on that trip to that music festival. Uh, and that music festival was a uh, disaster, <laughs> you could say. Uh, the music was great, but everything around it was terrible. So, if anyone wants to know more about this music festival, is that it was supposed to be a certain number of days and became fewer days as a result of some say weather, some say uh, walk offs from Starfield like staff because of terrible conditions but let me tell you i've never had a time where the best and worst time to use a porta potty was the same time 
because here's the thing: there's thousands of people who are the, like in this area, but they only changed out the porta potties once a day. But it was at like 3 p.m. when it was like 96 degrees, sun beating down on it. So it's like, hey, I know there's gonna be toilet paper, but I also know that it's going to be like Cool Hand Luke's hot box. It's like, <laughs> do I want to live this life? Do I want to be in the hot box? I don't know what this, why I'm being punished like this. Oh my god! Well, some other housekeeping. Um, <laughs> that was you could call that housekeeping. I'm gonna skip neglect. over that one. Yeah. Uh, so Nick, um, AGB is still streaming. I think he's live right now as we're recording. He's been going pretty hard on Starfield. So if you're interested in, in checking that out, go over to his channel. Um, uh, it's twitch.tv um, slash angry underscore green underscore balon um check them out and uh the back like backlogged or other um like friend podcast they are still kind of working on some stuff i I think we'll hear from them soon i haven't really talked with those guys i don't know what their plan is but we should see some episodes from them in the near future and then um stefan and i have some brainchild stuff that we're working on that i think everyone will be interested in um, and we're also working on a merch store and, um, Hey, if you're like a t-shirt designer or like, like t-shirts or like making t-shirts, like talk to us, um, we'll figure something out, but could always use fun designs. Um, but I think that's all I had from, from like our standpoint from the group, but, um, is there anything you wanted to add or bring up? Um, I mean, I did recently watch another movie that I was going to write a review for, <laughs> so so I'll just keep adding to my backlog of thing movies I'm going to write reviews for. It was actually that uh, new uh, Dracula-oriented one. Uh, oh, was it good? La- Last Voyage of the Demeter. Um. Well, here's the thing. Oh no. I if I well no. Let's just chill. All right. There are a lot of very effective scenes in it. I I did enjoy a lot of it, but there were the the same thing i go on about the reason i love the 80s and like the early 90s and like obviously the late 70s the reason i love that era of horror so much is because it's not the modern era which is usually like rife with horrible looking cgi because that's more budget conscious unfortunately this one even though there's a lot of scenes that they do some practical effect work where they they at least hide the cgi well there's a couple of scenes that like the cgi was just jarring to me uh really other than that yeah other than that though actually uh, quite liked it. I thought that it was uh, atmospheric and uh, like the human drama, like the the drama between the men on the ship and stuff like that, didn't come across as like forced. It did feel very natural. Um, and the ways that they, once they realized what was going on, resolved to like work together and stuff like that. Like it, all in all, very good movie. It's just I wish that they hadn't had these like moments of like jarring CGI. And it wasn't just like with Dracula, there's some CGI and some other things that was kind of off-putting, but yeah, if you want to find out more, read my review when I write it, which is definitely going to happen. So you've seen pretty much all of the Dracula themed movies, right? So, um, yeah, if it's Dracula, I've probably seen it. So like, where does this rank? Like top 5%, like we're talking middle, is this kind of middle of the road? Mm, I'd say it's kind of lower middle lower middle of the road there's some okay. real terrible dracula stuff out there but 
There's also a really high standard for Dracula movies. You got your Christopher Lee's, you got your Bela Lugosi, you know, you got your Nosferatu. Like a lot of Dracula movies are just, you know, S tier. So like you got to really, you got to really stand out in that pack. Yeah. Like Dracula untold. Ooh, straight to the bottom of the list, huh? <laughs> straight, straight down. That was actually a movie that I thought would have been really good if it had been allowed to be rated R, but instead they inexplicably made it PG-13, and it was just like, ugh. Yeah, I feel like it's like the 300 version of Dracula. I heard the Immortals or something like that. I, I got It was a weird vibe. Why, because Dracula was killing Muslims? <laughs> well, no, but... <laughs> I mean, that's what he was doing. Yeah, <laughs> but not, not, no, but I just meant like how it was filmed. It was very like, <laughs> like action or it was uh, just like, cause the, that was like kind of my problem with it is like, it really felt like, oh man, is Dracula just going to kill this shit out of a bunch of Muslims right now? Like, what is this post nine 11 <laughs> nonsense? But also like at the same time, the real historical Dracula was like known, like, you know, Vlad the Impaler. There's a reason you know who he is, right? He was notoriously cruel to the Ottomans that were invading his land. But sorry, I guess I misread that. I thought you were just going to do one of those. Like, cause like there's a huge uh, amount of um, discourse surrounding, you know, 300 when it came out, which was that a lot of it was um, sort of Islamophobic because the, it, it, they basically kind of took the whole idea that they were Persians and said, and that's the middle East It's like, mm, not really like, like, you know, I mean, close enough, I guess, for painting, you know, culture with a broad brush, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Like, but, you know, that was the whole idea. Like, a lot of the discourse around 300 was that the cultural other otherness of the Persian Empire at the time. Right. Well, now that we open that box, um, <laughs> why don't we uh, get into Dracula the, Untold? Dracula kills Muslims. I, I was trying to make Dracula. a shitty World War Z esque joke about a terrible Dracula movie that, so. <laughs> nothing nothing is to the level of world war z sir. Yeah, not even world war z you know i mean that's pretty nice. it stands alone alongside like it stands alone alongside something else and that is i am legend which is also a nightmare. you know what really bothers me about movies like that all of the good scenes were in the trailers and i know that's like a that's a cliche critique of movies but i'm serious if you haven't seen world war z just watch the trailers and then add aids to it and then that's pretty much how that movie played out so <laughs> that's an interesting way to take the resolution of that movie. I don't want to say because I don't spoil it for anyone, but I also hate it. So I kind of want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it. He gives himself AIDS or like some form of crazy disease. Wasn't the whole thing is like, there was like a, a whole thing of diseases. And he had to give himself a terminal illness, but one that they could treat back at the base camp. So he had to like pick wisely. Yeah, because the the creatures, I don't even know what they're not zombies, but the, they wanted to spread zombies. their infection, but they only wanted healthy hosts. So he infected himself because they were able to tell, like through some biomarker or some some form of something, that you had some crazy disease that they deemed you unnecessary or unworthy to spread their. Yeah, stuff. that's why I saw it'd be a crazy way to find out you had cancer. Like, man, why won't these zombies yeah. bite me? Like, yeah, that is kind of weird. And then, then like, you get, he, then you get the bad news. Like, sorry, we did a scan. And like with <laughs> how prevalent cancer is now, like, it's like surprising that there weren't more people that were able to fight them back. So I don't know. Yeah, but, it's almost like it was not a very well thought out movie. Yeah, really. So I guess we'll get back to talking about yeah. why we're what here. We're actually here for it. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't you get into the cast and crew? I think it's a good place to jump off. 
Oh yeah, back to Warlock. Uh, the director is Steve Miner. Um, you may know him from Friday the 13th Part 2 and Friday the 13th Part 3, which gives him, if I'm not mistaken, the dubious distinction of being the only director to have directed uh, two in the Friday the 13th franchise. Um, as we know, that's not the case for doing the makeup because Tom Savini had done like the makeup and effects for two of them. But uh, he also did House, which I love House. I think it's an underrated movie. Um, not the one about the doctor who goes around rudely diagnosing people, but the one about, uh, you mean the, Stuart uh, Little's dad? This, is that, is he Stuart? Is Hugh Laurie plays Stuart Little's dad? Yeah. Oh, no way. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Um, but no, this is one about a guy who like, uh, has a bunch of, he moves into a haunted house and they st- steal his son. And then also he has Vietnam flashbacks. So there's a lot going on in it, but it's a very, very good movie. Very funny. He did like, uh, the wonder years. Uh, pilot and then a handful of other episodes uh forever young i uh, did an episode of diagnosis murder which i bring up because i love it when dick van dyke pretends to be a doctor who also solves murders <laughs> um he did dawson's creek the pilot and a couple other episodes of that uh he did halloween h2o 20 years later that's a uh, halloween h2o colon 20 years later uh and there's like so like the halloween uh you know, chronology is all jacked up at this point. It's even more jacked up with the more recent ones that came out. Like the three that just came out what was it Halloween, Halloween kills and Halloween ends, mm-hmm. which like pick up from the original continuity. But at that time, there's a question about where Halloween H2O fell in like the Halloween franchise in terms of the chronology, as opposed to like, I think Halloween seven, I don't know. These numbers start to blend together, but uh, Steve Miner, this director has very firm opinions about where the Halloween H2O is on that list. It's very funny. It's 20 years um, later. <laughs> yeah. I think he thinks that it thinks of it as being a direct sequel to Halloween two. I think he thinks it's the next one, but I might be mistaken. He might actually think it's a replacement for Halloween two. Did you like H2O? Uh, I drink it every day. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. That's solid. Hey, the laugh track rolling. Uh, was, is that the one with Buster rhymes? No, it's, it's LL Cool J. But wasn't Buster Rhymes in one of them? He was. He was in the one after this. What? Resurrection. Oh, yeah, that's right. I honestly, all of the Halloween movies kind of like blend together after a certain point. So I refuse to apologize. I didn't do this to us. Rob Zombie did part of it. Yeah, I don't, I don't even want to get into that. Um, where was I? Oh, uh, here's a real banger. Lake Placid. Kind of glad I brought up uh, Deep Blue Sea just as a joke because Lake Placid is like one of those Deep Blue Sea era uh, movies where monsters kill you, like or like where uh, regular aquatic creatures kill you. Where I guess it's not just aquatic creatures because it was around this era that we had what Anaconda. Although it was in the water a lot. Okay, I loved Lake Placid. So like, did you not like this movie? It had Oliver Platt in it, dude. Yeah, man. I didn't say I didn't like it. Bridget Fonda, Bill Pullman. Had uh, Betty White in it. It did. She was the best character. Yeah, she was the one making these things, making these crocodiles big. That was funny. Remember how the movie ended with yeah. like her feeding three more? It's like, oh no, we're going to get sequels. And then we did. And there have been many more sequels to like Placid ever since. 
Yeah. Um, trying to go back to Steve Miner's credits here before we get carried away. Uh, he did a Texas Rangers movie. Uh, the only reason I know that is because my dad really likes it, and he bought it on DVD, and it has James Vanderbeek in it. Um, <laughs> Day of the Dead remake, the one with Nick Cannon. Oh, the best. Did you ever one. see that Day of the Dead? No. What did you just say? <laughs> what did you just say to me right now? I said the best one. I think that's it. I think this podcast is over. Are you kidding me? Those zombies, they like run on the ceiling. It makes no sense. Do you know how they resolve that? I don't even want to get into it because the ending of that movie makes no sense. Not the beginning doesn't make any sense either, but the ending makes even less sense. Whatever, man. No, the day of the dead remake is terrible. Oh, now I'm flustered. What was I saying? Oh yeah. Uh, so, uh, he did an episode of psych, which I bring up cause psych rules. Um, I'm, this is a couple of shows that he did. He did a lot of like television episodes, just like one-offs. And I just bring them up when I like the show. So there's Eureka and then the gates. I love you. Which are also great. Yeah. Eureka rules. Uh, and then I just brought up uh, once upon a time. Cause that was the last credit he had was uh, doing an episode of uh, once upon a time. He did the Derby episode for psych, which was a great episode. So. Oh, the talk derby. The, to me. Yeah. The roller derby one. That one was awesome. That was a really good episode. Yeah. Next up is the writer who is uh, David Twoey. Twoey. Not sure how his name is pronounced. Twoey. But it, <laughs> it doesn't matter how he pronounces it. Because let me tell you right now, he was the writer on the best Critters movie, Critters 2. The one directed by Mick Garris. It's my favorite Critters. Even though it doesn't have Billy Zane like Critters 1, but still. Uh, he also d- uh, did write uh, Warlock 2, the Armageddon, the second Warlock movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has a lot of credits. Uh, the Fugitive, uh, Terminal Velocity, Waterworld, The Arrival, not to be mistaken for Arrival. That's a different one. The one with Amy Adams, a different is. Arrival. Yep. Uh, G.I. Jane, uh, Pitch Black, Chronicles of Riddick, uh, and then also the newer Riddick. So he's the man that we owe all of our Riddick dreams to. Okay, so what's your opinion on a pitch black? I kind of need to know that. Uh, like get rid of Riddick. Don't even think about Riddick. Chronicles of Riddick or Riddick? Both. Like standalone. Get rid of anything. So just pitch black. Well, because Riddick, Chronicles of Riddick was bad, but Riddick was good. And pitch black was good. Okay, good. I like pitch black. All right. I love that. Yeah, movie. Pitch, that was such a good fine. idea. That was such a good that was like the height of that night. John Carpenter goes to Mars. That was like the height of sci-fi. Like, like, yeah, that was great. Sorry. Continue. Uh, I'm really struggling with the idea that you call that the height of sci-fi, but fine. We'll just how about move the on. height? The height of sci-fi? Well, like we were alive. Even then, I. <laughs> All right, man. Yeah, sure. There it is. We, nah, we I mean, come on. Like the mid 2000s. That was great. Great time to be alive. <laughs> Late nineties, yeah, 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 early two yeah, thousands. Sure. Right, what's your like, error then? What's your error then? Smartass. Of <laughs> like sci-fi. I don't know. I got to give it to like the you know mid nineties when we had like three concurrent Star Trek series that were amazing going on. True. Like you know we had TNG, we had Voyager, we had Deep Space Nine. Like that was a time. I guess the Matrix just dies quietly in the corner, right? The Matrix killed itself. That wasn't. <laughs> a, we didn't do that. Yeah. 
I bear no guilt. Although I do have a lot of opinions about like the that are somewhat favorable of the latter Matrix trilogy movies, like of uh, 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 Reloaded and Revelations or Revolutions, mm-hmm. not Revelations. That's a different thing. Uh, but yeah, Matrix uh, Revolutions. So if you ever want to talk about it, I'm your man. Um, oh, also a, a perfect getaway was also on David Tui's list, which is the one with like, um, what was it like Steve Zahn? Yeah. And Timothy Oliphant, where they're like, there's like two couples on a vacation and two of them are like murderers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And fun fact is David Tui also is a director. He directed Pitch Black, uh, Chronicles of Riddick, and then uh, A Perfect Getaway. And to, he also directed The Arrival, but that didn't make as much of a splash. But the reason that I brought that up is because, hey, you know, at least he didn't let The Chronicles of Riddick get him down and he went on to make A Perfect Getaway. Which is a damn fine little movie. So Damn fine. Damn fine. All right, next up, uh, music. Next up is music, and it is Jerry Goldsmith. And this is going to be long, so we got to hold on tight. And I'm not ever going to stop until I want to say something, so I'm going to stop a lot. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Planet of the Apes, Patton, Torah, 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 Escape from the Planet of the Apes, the one with the people who worship the atomic bomb. The probably the Next best Planet of the Apes movie until like the new Planet of the Apes movies. Papillon, uh, Logan's Run, The Omen, Damien, The Omen 2, uh, The Swarm, The Boys from Brazil, Alien, Star Trek The Motion Picture, Omen 3, The Final Conflict, Poltergeist, First Blood, Twilight Zone, The Movie. And he also had uh, credits on the Twilight, Twilight Zone television show. I don't know how extensive they were. Hey, uh, can so I, I stop you for one second? Time. Yeah, sure. Do you know that you did what you did? What? With First Blood. What did I do? You did the Halo announcer voice. But I did First Blood. You did First Blood. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Keep it in. Yep. All right, can I continue? No. Gremlins. <laughs> uh, Supergirl. Here's a banger. Baby Secret of the Lost Legend. You ever watch that when you were a kid? Yes. Dude, I just tracked that down on DVD and bought it. It's in my it's no, in my you didn't. Like, it is, yeah. It's right over here. I can see it right now. <laughs> I have it on DVD. Because <laughs> I needed because I thought about it and I was like, I don't own this. I need it. <laughs> where, where did you find that? Just on Amazon, dude. I just bought it. There's like a seller who had it and it was still wrapped. Like it's good. It's brand new. Oh my god. Yeah, dude. Secrets of the Lost Legend. I also bought Theodore Rex, <laughs> but that was unrelated. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, anyways, where was I? Oh yeah, I was at uh, Baby Secret of the Lost Legend, one of the greatest films ever made. And then I went to Rambo: First Blood Part Two, uh, Pol- Poltergeist Two: The Other Side, Inner Space, Lionheart, Rambo Three, The Burbs, Leviathan, Star Trek Five. Uh, it has a subtitle, but I didn't write it down, so I don't remember what it was. Total Recall, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, Basic Instinct, and I also misspelled instinct in my notes I'm saying, which is hilarious. Uh, Forever Young, Dennis the Menace, Rudy, The Shadow, Star Trek First Contact, Congo, The Ghost and the Darkness, um, Air Force One. Also, The Ghost in the Darkness is one movie. I realized that when I said it that way, I made it sound like there's a movie called The Ghost. Have you seen that movie? About those lions? Yeah. 
Hell yeah, I've seen it. Fucking wild movie. You guys should watch it. It's crazy. It's based on a true story, too. So, can I tell you something really weird? Sure. So, when I was in like high school in my youth group at church, uh, we had like these nights where you'd have like lock ins at church and you'd like stay there and then you'd, you know, do like activities and church stuff. stuff just like yeah. just church stuff. Yeah. But, um, the one time we did it, uh, we watched The Ghosts in the Darkness. <laughs> Oh, perfect. And it, it was, yeah. And I remember the, the reason for it was because like our minister at the time had said something about how like there was, it was alleged that those lions were like possessed by demons because they didn't act like lions do. And like, even then I was like, that seems like a dubious uh, reason to just watch this movie about lions murdering people. And now I look back on it. I'm like, it's even more dubious. Like, I think that some people just wanted to watch this movie and they didn't care that they had a bunch of high school students in a church. With them. I would, I would tend to agree with you. <laughs> so yeah, ghost in the darkness, uh, the perfect movie for a church lock-in. Uh, next up is air force one LA confidential deep rising, uh, small soldiers, um, Mulan, the Disney one. Uh, Star Trek Insurrection, The Mummy, uh, also directed by the director Steve Summers, Stephen Summers of uh, Deep Rising, uh, The 13th Warrior, which I think is underrated, I love Hollow Man, 13th Warrior. Yeah, that's like the best Beowulf adaptation. Definitely better than that weird 3D one. Uh, definitely, um, yeah. Hollow Man, uh, Star Trek Nemesis, uh, and then I put sadly, uh, you know, and he had way more than that on his list. I was just picking some greatest hits up in there. Um, but he unfortunately passed away in 2004. So we've lost him almost two whole decades ago. Wow. Where does time go? That's that doesn't even seem like it should have been that long ago, but so that's it for uh, Jerry Goldsmith. Um, amazing work. Um, and that was all I had for like uh, crew before I moved on to the actors in this. Did you have any other crew members you wanted to bring up? No, I, I, I mean, no, I think that's, that's probably good. All right. Then onward to the titular warlock as played by Julian Sands. And can we just talk about something really fast before I get into his credits and stuff? I, uh, absolutely loved the cover of this movie at video stores when I was a kid, because it was just Julian Sands doing like a little strut, like his little, like patented, like one arm crossed across the front of his body and the other arm like resting on the hand of that arm and then like his hand under his chin and stuff like that. So it had him doing that little strut and then the shadow was like a demon. Yeah. This, Have you ever seen that? Yeah. But, and then the cover art was like almost like a, like a nineties rom-com kind of cover. <laughs> it like did a not get look shorty like it was, or like a, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like it, it did not look like it was what it was, which was supposed to be terrifying. But I just love the way that he like has this physicality to him that he like has these poses that are so like specifically Julian Sands. And I just wanted to bring that up now. I don't know why now is probably not the place for it, but I just was thinking about it because I've only ever seen him in a handful of things. I've heard his voice in many other things, but um, but yeah, to get to his credits, uh, I, I picked out a handful here: uh, the Killing Fields. A uh, room with a view, gothic, arachnophobia, which I remember vividly because spiders terrify me. Um, That's fair. Yeah. Uh, Blood Royal, William the Conqueror, uh, Naked Lunch, the, uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, the William S. Burroughs, uh, Naked Lunch 
uh, film adaptation. The Turn of the Screw, I don't know which version of The Turn of the Screw it is. That's a story that's been adapted numerous times. Uh, I know it's not the one, the more recent one called The Turning, which stars uh, Finn Wolfhard. Have you ever <laughs> seen that one? A very bad adaptation of The Turn of the Screw. Or Turning of the Screw. Isn't that what it's called? Turning of the Screw. Um, so uh, Warlock 2, The Armageddon. Uh, he did reprise his role in that. He did not reprise his role as the Warlock in the third Warlock film. Leaving Las Vegas. Uh, he did a, uh, some vocal work in Biker Mice from Mars. Uh, he was in a handful of the episodes of the miniseries. There might have been all of the episodes of the miniseries. I don't remember how many mini episodes of the miniseries there were. But uh, Rose Red, that Stephen King miniseries from like, oh, yeah. was the late 90s. You remember that one? Like yeah, the, I do. The Scary House? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, he, was, uh, he had a, a significant role in the Jackie Chan Adventures, the cartoon on the WB. Is Valmont. Yeah. <laughs> you just jumped on that one. You were ready. Yeah. I love that show. Uh, he was in The Medallion, also a Jackie Chan movie. He's in uh, uh, 11 episodes of a season of 24. So not quite half of the hours of the of the day, but in like almost half of the hours of the day. <laughs> uh, Ocean's 13. Uh, one of the things I recognized him from uh, was in Smallville when he played Jor-El in what is a very confusing series of appearances of Jor-El in that show. Uh, he was in the American version of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Uh, he was in Call of Duty Black Ops 2, probably the best uh, Call of Duty Black Ops game. Uh, he was in Extraordinary Tales. Uh, he, he was in Gotham, but I didn't recognize the character who he played, other than that his last name was Crane, so I'm gathering it was like uh, Jonathan Crane's dad. Yeah, that's who and I thought I, it was. Yeah. He was like mean to him or something, right? That was like yeah. part of the... Yep. Yeah. There you go. I remember him now. And then uh, just a handful of credits. Uh, you know, he's in some episodes of The Blacklist, of uh, Elementary. Um, his last listed credit was uh, Double Soul. Uh, and he unfortunately, uh, in order to celebrate his birthday, he went uh, hiking uh, was on Mount Baldy, I think, in California. And he unfortunately went missing during some inclement weather. Uh, and they eventually did find remains that were his remains. So he, he did unfortunately pass. And that was early this year in January of this year. I believe if I'm not mistaken that they were able to, they determined that he'd passed in January, but they didn't find his remains till significantly later, which is unfortunate. Yeah. I think um, Redfern finally got him. Wow. It's wow. a joke. I'm sorry. Too An soon. Actual dead man. I'm and sorry. you're over here making a joke. Sorry. <laughs> No, it's okay. I have no respect for human life. So next is uh, Cassandra, as played by Lori Singer. She is uh, known not just as an actress, but as a cellist and as a dancer. So she's a triple threat. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think that she was and remains uh, the youngest person to ever graduate from Juilliard. Because I think she was accepted to Juilliard at age 16. Um, you can fact check me on that, but, and she's accepted as a cellist. Definitely not um, acting. <laughs> Oof, harsh, but also correct. It was not acting. Yeah. She, uh, she played a character in fame, uh, for, I think a couple of years and it was a character. I think the name was Julie Miller who was written specifically for her. The character was a cellist. Yeah. Mellow um, cello was the, 
Was that like her alter ego? In that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Like- <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah. So yeah, she had a character in that that I, I think won her quite a bit of acclaim. Uh, she was in Footloose. Maybe you've heard of it. Nope. Kevin Bacon. Mm-mm. Okay, let me tell you about it. So Kevin Bacon. Please uh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, Unless you talk about side. John Lithgow, and then you can talk the whole time about that. John Lithgow's in that, isn't he the dad in Footloose? Dude, I don't. I've never seen Footloose. Are you kidding me? He, yeah, he's the dad. Wait, have I seen Footloose? Uh, which one's the which one is the dad? Jerry Orbach. That's Dirty Dancing. Yeah, Footloose is the one about the Reverend, and they're not allowed to dance. Oh, where they can't dance in the town. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yep, and they do the tractor race. Yeah, it's a good movie. God, why are we talking about this? Because we're here to talk about great films, no matter what they are. Yeah. Uh, so then after that, we have Summer Heat, Sunset Grill, uh, Shortcuts, which I believe is a Robert Altman film. So always good to see. Uh, she played the lead in uh, VR.5. I don't know what that is, but she played the lead in it. Um, and then the only major credit I would bring up other than that is uh, there was this series uh, that Yo-Yo Ma did called uh inspired by Bach with yo-yo ma uh and he would do like i think he would do like different um Bach you know uh pieces and this one it was called uh Bach cello suite number four but it was actually like a short film called uh sarah band mm-hmm. and it basically you can see like double billing on uh laurie singer's uh imdb page and everything because it is considered both a feature film but then a television thing because it was an episode of this series that Yo-Yo Ma did. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she had worked with Yo-Yo Ma before because being that she was a, you know, cello prodigy, uh, she had worked with him during her time at Juilliard, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so super interesting career. Um, yeah. I don't think acting is her strongest, but we'll get into that later. Uh, but yeah, she, uh, she plays Cassandra in this film. Next up is our man Red Fern, the he- the hero of sorts of this thing, uh, as played by Richard E. Grant. Um, he's been in all kinds of stuff uh, with Nail and I, uh, How to Get Ahead in Advertising, L.A. Story, Hudson Hawk, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Now, Bram Stoker's Dracula is the Francis Ford Coppola one with like Gary Oldman as Dracula, mm-hmm. if you recall. That is a movie that. Uh, I can't quite put a finger on whether or not it's good because <laughs> so many of the performances and so many of the decisions are uh, utterly baffling to me. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not going to make any more Dracula jokes. So like, I don't know if you want me to try to like put it on my like uh Dracula, like quality line. I think it would be towards the end, you know, probably uh, above Dracula untold, but maybe like below like Renfield. Uh, so next up is uh, The Age of Innocence, uh, Spice World, the Spice Girls movie, uh, The Little Vampire, not a Dracula movie, but it was a vampire movie, uh, Gosford Park, uh, Wawa, which he was the writer and director on. I believe it was an autobiographical film. I do not think it was well received, which is unfortunate to hear. Uh, he had a voice role in Corpse Bride. Uh, he had the Nutcracker 3D, but then also the Nutcracker in the Four Realms, which was one of those weird, like, epic movies they made, like, about a random property. Mm-hmm. Um, the Hitman's Bodyguard, uh, and then also the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, 
which is the more recent one, which I think those movies are kind of funny. Um, let me see. Uh, oh yeah, uh, Logan, the Wolverine film with Logan. Uh, Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker. He played uh, General Pride in that. Do you really want me to make some enemies for us and say my opinions on Star Wars stuff? Yeah, do it. So uh, a lot of people say, you know, there's a lot of debate in the community about the Star Wars sequel trilogy. Like, oh, I, you know, I think that The Last Jedi sucks. It's like, oh, I think the, you know, Rise of Skywalker sucks or whatever. Um, My opinion is that I don't really like any of them, but my least favorite is Force Awakens. (laughs) And my favorite of the sequel trilogy is actually Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> well, it actually did something. Well, the thing is, everyone says, like, you know, like, Last Jedi did this and this. And some people are like, well, The Force Awakens set everything up perfectly. And The Last Jedi messed it up. Or people say, The Force Awakens set everything up per- per- perfectly. Uh, Last Jedi set up even more things perfectly. And then uh, it seems like most people agree that The Rise of Skywalker was the worst. But I say it's the best. Because it had Emperor Palpatine in it, and uh, Ian McDermott could literally just be reading a phone book, and I'd cheer. <laughs> just put that man somewhere, have him read to me. That should be like, you know, like one of those like YouTube channels. <laughs> it's just him reading books to me. So, Rise of Skywalker, you've heard it here first. The best of the Star Wars sequel trilogy, and The Force Awakens, worst of the Star Wars sequel trilogy, and uh. What was the other one? Last Jedi? The most, eh, of the, the sequel mid. trilogy. Yeah. It's the midfield of the, of the sequel trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> but all right, now that I've alienated some uh, listeners, uh, Persuasion. Uh, he also had a television program called Richard E. Grant's Hotel of Secrets, where he was the host. Uh, he played the Grand Intelligence in Doctor Who in, I think, the 2012 series. He was in Downton Abbey. He played a character in Game of Thrones, and I've seen all of Game of Thrones, and I have no idea who that character he plays in Game of Thrones is. Um, he has a very distinct look, though, so if I, see, I feel like if I saw him in his costume of like the character he's playing, I'd recognize him. He was in the, a, a series of unfortunate events, but not the film, the television program. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this is, a throw, this is one to throw out to my buddy Jason, who uh, let me borrow his pillar, uh, The Pillars of the Earth book. And I still have it, and I've never read it, and it's been like four years. Uh, but <laughs> uh, Richard E. Grant was also the narrator of the audiobook version of The Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett. Hmm. So that's a that's a little little shout out to my buddy Jason. Um, anything to add to Richard E. Grant? He has a significant number of credits. I'm very worried that I've missed some things of his that are noteworthy enough that someone might like actually be upset about it. No, I think I think he hit them all. I mean, he was in he was in a lot of stuff. I agree with you. He has been in many things. Next up, unexpected, but ha- always welcome, Mary Warrenov as the channeler. I mean, that's how she's credited as the channeler. She didn't do a lot of channeling of her own accord. Um, she was some channeled. of her credits. She was, yeah, she was channeled, not channeling. Uh, she plays in uh, Silent Night, Bloody Night, which is I have that on uh, DVD for some reason. Uh, Death Race 2000, uh, Cannonball, Heart Beeps, Terror Vision, which I think is underrated. Uh, she was actually in Chopping Mall. She was that Mary Bland, like one of those two mm-hmm. people that were supposed to be played for jokes. But we were like, who are these people? She was one of them. Mm. Um, 
Blood Theater, Mortuary Academy, Dick Tracy. Um, more recently, uh, The Devil's Rejects, and then uh, The House of the Devil. Uh, a lot of TV credits. Uh, she had, had a role in uh, Charlie's Angels, uh, Knight Rider, uh, Murder, She Wrote, which I'm ready to bring up again now that I'm over being burned for that large print book. <laughs> um, Saint Elsewhere, Amazing Stories. And here we go, finally, Monsters. I was wondering if we'd get a Tales from the Dark Side or a Monsters in this thing, but luckily Mayor Warnov is here to save the day. Uh, Babylon 5, Highlander the series, a couple of made-for-TV uh, The Munsters movies. Uh, here come The Munsters and The Munsters' Scary Little Christmas. Uh, and then Beyond Belief, Factor Fiction. I just decided to bring that one in there because I, I love that show. So Mary Warnoff has a ton more credits. We could go all day. But uh, next up, I'm, I only have a few credits for him, is uh, Chaz, as played by Kevin O'Brien. Um, I thought it was interesting because he was in uh, Friday the 13th Part 3. Um, you know, so that means that he had uh, worked with uh, director Steve Miner in, uh, before. He was in uh, the television program Red Dwarf. He'd played a role in an episode of American Playhouse. And the other other thing that was like really stand out to me is that he was in Doctor Who, but I saw that the character he played was just called Citizen. So I can't imagine he had a huge role in that episode of Doctor Who. So that's our man, Kevin O'Brien. Uh, next up is a guy that I just have in my notes as the Mennonite old man. Uh, he's significant in this movie, but he's never given a name. He's just an old man who is also a Mennonite. Uh, it's played by uh, Richard Kuss. He was in uh, Serpico, Kojak, The Deer Hunter. One of my favorite movies is The Deer Hunter. Back when I was in college, that was one of my comfort movies um okay uh what that's a good all right yeah next up wow uh he's in that show the edge of night no don't <laughs> next up is the edge of night which is one of those movies that or one of those shows that comes up from time to time santa barbara which by the way um my uh my cousin joe like finally uh or not finally he eventually texted me and explained to me what santa barbara was and i guess it's like one of a series of like long running, uh, like soap operas, like daytime soap operas at the time. So I, I had no idea that that's what Santa Barbara was. Yeah. Me either. Yeah. He just texted me the other day about it. I was like, Oh, <laughs> like that's important to know. Like if it's going to keep coming up in our show, I guess I should know that. That's fair. Well, that explains it. Cause we always see it. Yeah, seriously. Well, that explains why there's so many people in it too. Yeah, because right. like it can be short lived, but also have like hundreds of episodes, right. you know, a year. So there you go. Santa Barbara, um, Hardcastle and McCormick, uh, you know, the Mennonite old man, Richard Coase was in that he was in Matlock. They ever talk about that episode of Matlock with a ghost. I feel like I bring it up too often. So I must've brought it up on our show at some point. I, I don't remember. Yeah. I, I'm almost a hundred percent sure there's an episode of Matlock with a ghost in it. But it wasn't like a real ghost. It was like a guy pretending to be a ghost to like scare his wife or something. I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure there's a ghost episode of Matlock. Someone let me know. And it wasn't uh, Scooby-Doo? No. Yeah, you'd think, right? But no. It was in the South. So uh, then there's also uh, Cagney and Lacey. Uh, police Story Cop Killer and Police Story uh, Gladiator School, which I guess must be like made-for-TV movies based off of Police Story. Um. He had a role in an episode of the 90s, The Flash Show, 
And then we kind of come to the end of uh, Richard Kuss's career. And he was an older man, so he might have passed. I don't know for sure, though. He did. Uh, next up, he did? Yeah, 1999. Okay, then yeah, that, that fits that timeline then. Yeah, he was 72. Well, bummer, but that'll happen. Next up is the pastor, uh, who is credited as pastor, even though we know his name is Stuart. Uh, it's played by David Carpenter. He has a lot of like one-off show appearances. I put down some uh, pretty prominent ones. Uh, Lonesome Dove, uh, Gods and Generals, like the Civil War movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Good Trouble. Uh, he had some roles in like uh, Justified, which we always love to bring up because Timothy Oliphant rules. Uh, he's in Leverage. Um, he's in like a 2013 version of Bonnie and Clyde that I'd never heard of. Um, I put down that he was also uh, did voice work in Mafia 3. <laughs> Yeah, one of the mafia games <laughs> yeah additional like, voices might as, well, yeah, might as well bring it up he did additional voices um but then next up i have the pastor's wife as played by anna thompson and i wanted to get to her because i did recognize her and i th- or i thought i recognized her and i was correct because she was in unforgiven yeah yes yeah she was like the uh prostitute who gets her face kind of cut up or whatever yep. right yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I remember her in Unforgiven. And then I remember her in The Crow as yep. well. Yep. Because she was the mom, right? Darla. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. There's I remembered her in a couple of her roles. Uh, but the only other one that was really noteworthy uh, was True, Rom- uh, True Romance, which, you know, pretty famous movie. So kind of had to bring it up. And there's a couple other cast members that like our build. Uh, but the only other one I, I wanted to bring up is... Uh, the only credit I could see for him was unbaptized boy, which we'll get to in the plot synopsis. Uh, he was played by Brandon call. Uh, he had a handful of roles, uh, step-by-step jagged edge, blind fury, uh, thunder in paradise. He had a pretty lengthy, uh, stint in, uh, Baywatch and some of the Baywatch movies as somebody named Hobie, which I don't know enough about Baywatch to know who Hobie is. Yeah. I don't but know. I don't know. I figured I'd bring up our unbaptized boy because he's going to come up later. I just think it's funny to only describe him as unbaptized boy. (laughs) Uh, But that was all I had for the cast. Was there anyone that I missed that you wanted to say anything about? Because I know I skipped over a couple of of roles. No, I think the cab driver. Yeah, there's a couple of like one off scenes, but that pretty much gets like, you know, there's the airport people. And I think I think you kind of. I think you kind of hit everyone. I agree. I think I'm very thorough and great at this. <laughs> wow. All right. Next up. Now that we've done all of that, all of those things. Next up is the plot description. You'll add those though. <laughs> I don't have to. Do I mean, those. you keep doing them, man. So, like, I just, I don't have to. <laughs> um. Anyhow, Warlock, 
New World Pictures logo. Truly a blast from the past. Uh, so we see what is, you know, clearly some olden times. There's some guy loading cats into a basket, which seems weird, but there is a reason for it. And it's pretty messed up. Um, yes. So walking through this old timey, like, uh, you know, we later learned it's 1691 is the year. Uh, there's a handful of uh, old men wearing their, like, black cloaks and their, you know, buckled shoes and their, you know, weird neck aprons or neck neck napkin things. You know, like old old timey puritanical dress, basically. Yeah, neck um, napkins. Neck napkins. Um yeah, so like uh what you got here is um, you know, everyone is kind of afraid of them. Like you can see everyone like looks at them and like stays out of their way. There's like a mother who like beckons her son come inside to get away from these like scary men. Um, you know, you get the feeling that they're, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, men of some kind of authority uh, that people are also afraid of. Uh, can you imagine that? Like what it'd be like to live in a society where you're actually afraid <laughs> of the people who are supposed to be like protecting you. <laughs> like what what a society that would be if like that there's people who you expect to help you but then it turns out that they might you know actually bring you harm so what's interesting so crazy. is they're credited like as magistrates right sure which is an elected position and i think it i think that's now i don't know what that term meant back in the 1600s um but what I thought was weird is like through watching this, like like the the beginning scenes are in like a castle kind of fort, and I thought they were in like Scotland or something. Well, I bring that up later when we actually get to where the tower is, <laughs> like the the you know warlock is being held in. Um, but yeah, yeah, these are these aren't like uh, witchfinder generals or something like that. Like yeah. witchfinder generals being like more of like a actual Puritan position in like England and stuff like that. And wasn't there a movie called Witchfinder general with Vincent price. It was pretty sick. I think so. I think I can't remember the title. I know what you're, I know the movie you're talking about though. Yeah. He's like a straight up like Solomon Kane looking dude. Yeah. And I guess Solomon Kane was, you know, also a Puritan. <laughs> These guys aren't supposed to be Puritans, but it is very much that. Oh, hell, hell yeah. It was called that uh, Witch Witchfinder general. Nice. Yeah, it was one of the, I think it was a, um, was it a Hammer film? I don't think it was a Hammer film, but it was like that era, like the late 60s, early 70s. Like, yeah, so that was uh, Vincent Price. Um, but yeah, so some like a Witchfinder General dudes, you get the feeling they could be like, people probably are afraid of them because they are probably just as likely to burn innocent people as non-innocent people. Because as we know, uh, actual witch hunts go poorly. But in any case, uh, the music here, how would you describe this music? I wrote down in my notes, it sounds like one of those old uh, computer RPGs from like the late 90s, early 2000s, like some like original Baldur's Gate stuff or something. Yeah, it was kind of weird. I, and it, I didn't know. I mean, it wasn't bad, but it, it yeah, it definitely had that like, uh, I can't remember the, like the Windows 95, but it was like the Amiga or like the Commodore kind of sound. Yeah, I, I really think, and it must be part of the the budgetary thing because we know, we know that Jerry Goldsmith can do anything. 
So he's done right. it in the past. So I feel like it must have been like what his tools that he was given to work with were. But like it wasn't a bad sound. But no, 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 no. Like yeah. I look back fondly on those old RPGs. Like I still yeah. try to play some of them. They just don't hold up very well. Right. But it isn't the music that scares me away. Um but then uh oh, and then on the on that music, the reason I brought it up is because there's like a beat drop. I, I don't know if you'd call it a beat drop, but it was definitely beat drop esque, and that's when we get our warlock title card. So there you go, warlock. Still seeing like people like uh, regarding these men with uh, with fear and or and or concern, with the exception of a fur clad man with a very serious look about him, is how I put it in our note my notes. Um, that fur clad man we will come to know is none other than Red Fern himself, our actual witch hunter. Um, so, and at this point is where they start approaching that like large tower, uh, which I put in my notes, uh, approaching a large tower, which I didn't think they had in this era of colonial America. Cause it's like an actual stone tower. And in my notes, uh, yeah, I don't believe they did. Uh, in fact, the only place to find that these structures exist today is in Germany. Yeah. It was just kind of weird. Cause it was like, cause I, with the accent and how they were talking, I really felt like I'm like, oh, this is definitely like England or like Scotland or Ireland, not Boston, right? Is that where it was? Yeah, well, this is 1691. Like most of these people aren't fr- like probably native to Boston. In fact, the idea and then like kind of getting ahead of myself, the idea that uh, Redfern can recognize anything from old Boston when they go to the future Boston is almost ridiculous. <laughs> There's almost no chance that any of those like roads or anything were really the same, but um, in any case, uh, yes, they approach this massive tower. Uh, the there's a I put in my notes it's a witch sign on the door, but they call it a hex sign. I don't mm-hmm. know the difference, but I feel like witch sign must be something different. Um, and then whenever we bring that up, the witch the hex sign is basically just a pentagram, but then with some other little weird designs around it. Um, I thought it was a pretty cool shot as the men move upward in the tower. You kind of are like a low shot, like looking straight up as they go around like the, those like stairs that you have inside of like the spiral stairs inside of a little tower like that along mm-hmm. the wall. And then they open something like a thousand doors and gates to get into where the actual warlock is. <laughs> There's so many doors and gates in there and it can't be that wide, but they get into where the warlock is and he is detained in possibly the most uncomfortable way that I've ever seen. Uh, Fortunately, unlike in real life, when people are charged with witchcraft, uh, this guy is an actual warlock, so he does deserve to be in this position. He is evil. <laughs> so, but it was—it's what like a, a series of shackles. Tell me if I'm right, because I was trying to analyze it. Where his thumbs and his big toes are all shackled together, right? Correct. Yeah. So he's like basically like bent over. <laughs> in a position where his like, you know, thumbs and, and are like a shackled to his big toes. And they're all together in one shackle together, like pretty uncomfortable. Luckily, like I said, he is a murderous uh, magic user, so he deserves it. Um, and at that point we do find out that again, it is 1691 and this is Boston because they're doing like an impromptu, like court session. Where they're like saying, like, "Year of our Lord, this year in this town, you know, there's a guy in the corner taking notes that I guess is like our court, you know, court reporter or whatever." 
this the Puritan style dudes want to get a confession from the warlock uh, for some reason because it doesn't seem like it's going to have any impact on his punishment. Right. Which his punishment is to be released. Okay, I'll say. <laughs> yeah, to be released. Get out of here. No, his punishment is to be hung. And then to have a basket of cats burned beneath him. I'm like, that's why the cats were being put in a basket? What a terrible plan. I don't understand why they had to do that at all. I've never heard that. And I don't know if that's true. Is that part of like actual like witchcraft lore? Like, so, you have to- yeah, like watching this, I'm like, should I look this shit up? And I'm like, nah, I'm just going to take it at face value. Like, you know, I'm sure they did stupid shit like that. Yeah, but man, like you can only have so many cats in 1691, right? <laughs> yeah i don't know Any, i mean like well it's probably their way to like cut down on uh cut down on feral cats i guess um yeah i mean i feel like there's better ways to do it but in any case uh the warlock uh looks up and all the men recoil uh we know why this is later because the warlock with a, even a single gaze can do wizard powers i guess warlock powers because wizard powers are different because like we need to if we need to acknowledge to our readers so sorcerers uh, are people who have the magic power imbued in them through bloodline or something like that. Uh, wizards are people who learn from like magic books and stuff like that. And warlocks uh, usually have some kind of relationship with another power, which gives them their power. Am I correct? Sure. Well, this warlock has a deal with Satan, which we'll find out later. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so then... Uh, yeah, the men convict him and depart. His sentence is to be carried out, I believe, the next day. Um, Correct. Because they kind of say a matter of hours, but they also say tomorrow, so it's kind of confusing. But I guess, really, what is tomorrow but a matter of hours, if you really think about it, man? <laughs> um, anyhow, in comes our, our boy Redfern with his furs. That's how we find his name, by the way, because the warlock says his name, Redfern. Uh, Redfern basically taunts the warlock and is like, you've been here for three days. And Satan hasn't saved you. He would have saved you if he wanted to or whatever. And the warlock uh, says, perhaps you'll save us both. At which point Redfern socks him in the face. And he does a weird flip because he's like, again, uh, shackled in a very uncomfortable way, but also with like side ropes to hold him from the side too. So he basically spins like a gyroscope (laughs) from this punch to the face. I feel like, I feel like they had to do that. So the actor wouldn't fall over. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like, probably. You know what I mean? I could not have been comfortable, yeah. Um, what is it? Um oh yeah, then Redfern uh leaves and he goes to give instructions, you know, yeah, to leave the uh warlock in shackles even while he's burned. And they said that they'll pull like from the burned ashes, they'll pull it out, like to right. leave it there. But then <clears throat> sudden supernatural storm. There's a storm that has arrived, and it is supernatural because of the swiftness with, with which it arrived. We usually just call those microbursts now, but back then they didn't have those because climate change hadn't happened yet. <laughs> so, so basically he goes and is like, Oh man, Satan's up to no good. I bet he's going to rescue his warlock. So Redfern runs back into the, where the warlock is being held. The warlock at that point already freed some of the shackles uh, from his hand. I think he freed his hand ones. He's working on his foot ones. And you know, Redfern runs at the warlock to try to stop him from being rescued by Satan. And they both disappear in the storm. And like what all, all the other guys come up and see the empty room, see that both uh, both Redfern and the warlock have vanished. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Like how they how they did the like the vanishing thing. Um, I thought, well, so they didn't show. Did they really show the room? I think they just showed like a like a profile, right, of them just like in shock. 
No, they showed the room too. They did. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there, you, there was like a lot of light coming in from the outside at that point because the storm had ended as quickly as it began. Mm-hmm. So by the time those guys got in there, like the storm was over. So it was like just the empty room at that point. But fast forward three hundred years. Well, just short of three hundred years, I guess. To L.A., a, a series of shots showing us what the modern future is compared to that puritanical age we just left. Public phones. So you know you'll have those forever. There's a uh, there's some cars. There's some wind. Also, well, like I said, wind back then. Also, there's a radio. There's like a inexplicably plugged in clock radio in a garbage outside. And that clock radio is uh, also giving us some exposition. And the radio is talking about this storm that's hitting L.A. with something that they call the Devil's Wind. Guess what? It is the Devil's Wind because it's bringing a warlock to them. I put a very animated tornado is heading towards a house. Uh, we see a young woman is sleeping and she's jarred awake by the sound of a broken window. Uh, this wo- young woman is, of course, Cassandra, who we will uh, who will become our heroine for better or worse. Uh, she goes out to investigate. And then a man from another room, uh, Chaz, asks uh, if it was her who did it. Um, obviously not, because she just come out to investigate the same exact thing. Um, then when they go in there, they find that the warlock is busted in their window and is covered with cuts. Uh, Cassandra wants to call the cops, uh, but Chaz, uh, who we get the feeling is one of those like takers in of all strays, uh, wants to help the guy out. I think there's even an exchange about that, right? Where uh, Cassandra says, you know, you shouldn't take in every stray you meet. And he's like, I took you in, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. And she brings it up at the police station too. Like how, like basically she just kind of was taken in by him. She doesn't know like what he does. You know what I mean? We'll get there. Yeah, that's a that's a rather uncool scene in many ways. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, um, but the, uh, so you know, at first, uh, Cassandra starts moving towards the couch, and Chaz is like, "No, you can't be putting him on this couch. That's over a hundred years old." Foreshadowing that he has old things that'll come in handy later. That's a tool for later. Um, well, then we are shown a brief instant of uh, Cassandra. Uh, well, they take her. They decide to take him into. Uh, Cassandra's room because everything's covered in plastic for some reason. I don't really understand that, but that's what Chaz says. Anyways, uh, we're showing a brief shot of Cassandra uh, giving herself a shot of insulin because she has the diabetes. Anyways, uh, next scene after she does her like insulin shot, uh, the warlock is awake and he sees a newspaper that uh, says the year. And uh, one of the few times that he seems very uh, taken aback, he's like, is this true? Look, and then he just like needs to lie down. So she like tucks him into her bed or whatever, like helps him like rest, which is kind of funny considering how like evil he becomes. That This is this moment of like vulnerability where he realizes where he is. Yeah. You know, that's Julian Sands, baby. That's an acting <laughs> talent. Um, yes. Yeah, so, and then Cassandra, you know, leaves for work. Then uh, at one point, this is a pretty funny scene. So Cassandra uh, is sitting, waiting for a very, very old lady to cross the street. With a punishing lack of urgency. Like this like old lady is walking with the swiftness of uh, a slug. Like just oozing across the street. Like almost comedically so. And let me tell you, it is comedically so. Because she says, uh, don't let me get old. Certainly she won't find Sol- somehow solid pun. Age, age quickly, right? Her delivery was on point. You do not like her performance? Yeah, it was just a little... 
everything's kind of on the nose. <laughs> well, it was just yeah. We'll get there. There's a couple yeah. scenes where I can point it out better. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, uh, back to Chaz. He's cooking breakfast. Um, and the warlock comes in and like startles him. But uh, he's being like super nice to the warlock, which is sad because he is not going to end up on the good side of this. And he like explains like, oh, I'm gonna, I can give you a ride to town after breakfast, and like I can give you food because I've always got extras. Uh, but the warlock is too busy like looking at uh, a ring that Chaz has on his finger. But he's like, what he says, it's like, oh, it's a Scorpio ring or whatever. Um, you know, I don't believe in that kind of what the astrology stuff it seems so 60s right it's like well don't say that to somebody now there's a bunch of people that believe in that nonsense nowadays but in any case um uh chaz says something to like like the because the warlock is staring at it chaz is like you know i'd let you try it on uh but i broke this finger uh so i can't take it off anymore well bad news everybody uh, the warlock grabs a knife and just cuts Chaz's finger off the to get the ring. The speed at which he made that decision to cut that finger off was like, I was like, oh my god. Because I wasn't well, I wasn't expecting that. That's like one of those, like, what is it they say nowadays? Like, the, the he let his intrusive thoughts win? Yeah, right. He like instantly was like, I just need that ring and I have a knife. Let's go! I mean, did he um, need the ring, though? I think he just wanted the it, ring. He just wanted it. Yeah. It didn't. It wasn't magic. He just liked it. Yep. That's the thing. That's the warlock. That's what he does. Um, yeah, so Chaz uh, tries to run out of the room, but the warlock magically shuts the door. Um, and, you know, Chaz is yelling for help to no one in particular, even though I believe there's a phone right behind him. But he doesn't make a move for that. Uh, then the warlock grabs Chaz uh, and then... Uh, you know, it looks like he's kissing him, but he's not. He's biting his tongue off, and then he spits his tongue onto the pan that he was using to fix breakfast, and it sizzles like a piece of buttered sausage. Nice, <laughs> solid, so. solid comparison. <laughs> it's a good simile. So yeah, and I presume we must have like done additional things to kill him. I don't think you can die just from having your tongue bit off. Um, well, they said there case, were other wounds, like on his neck and. Yeah, you get the feeling that the yeah. warlock was just getting started. Um, then we go to, uh, oh, this is a funny cut. So it cut from like the tongue on the frying pan uh, in the you know apartment to yeah. uh, food cooking at the diner where Cassandra works. <laughs> like that was a really cool like it was scene it was, transition. It was a good transition. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so Cassandra's at her diner. She's like taking some food to some tables, and she sees some cops pull up. And it's like she knows instantly they're there for her. Um, so then it's like her being questioned by the cops about Chaz's death. And I put in my notes they're asking a series of very homophobic questions. Uh, I don't think that's an incorrect assessment of their which, questioning. Which are met by even more homophobic answers. Yeah. Kind of. I, I mean, mean, she was defending him, but you know, in a very bad way. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, they, say, they said something like, so did he like to go to public parks? And she was like, oh, he doesn't. He was it? He doesn't poke like, kids through a wall. Poke kids through like a bathroom wall. He wasn't. He isn't. He's gay, not queer, or something like that. It's like, yeah. Oh man, like they had not figured out the terminology at that time, <laughs> so it was like really uncomfortable. <laughs> but like, it's that's the thing though. Is the cops are like, he's gay, so this must be gay related. Although to be fair to the cops, which is the only time I'll ever say those words, is uh, they couldn't have suspected that it was a magic user from the sixteen nineties. Who rolled in and killed this guy right. for his Scorpio ring? Like he couldn't have predicted it. Like 
even the best cop in the world couldn't have predicted that. Um, so where was I? Kind of lost my train of thought thinking about cop stuff. Oh, then the cop says something super gross, which is he wants to find the guy who did this uh, before he makes an omelet out of someone else's tongue. Yeah. And I was like, gee, ugh. I mean, first of all, it takes a lot more preparation than that to make an omelet, sir. But anyways, so yeah, uh, at that point, um, <clears throat> what is it? Uh, uh, crap, why did I forget her name? Cassandra, Cassandra with a K. So Cassandra uh, needs to go back to get her insulin. And that was her excuse to get out of the uh, the interview with the cops, which un- unexpectedly they allow her to leave, which usually, you know, when cops are questioning you, you can't just be leaving. Um, smash cut to metaphysical bookstore. So this is a metaphysical bookstore run by the channeler as played by Mary Warren of, um, there's like a whole huge group of people leaving at once. I guess they're all in there doing like spiritualism stuff where she was like channeling ghosts and stuff. Um, but she is surprised that the warlock is there because he's still behind her. Uh, she says she didn't expect that anyone was still here. Um, and, uh, the warlock is asking her about her ability to communicate with spirits, and she says she can channel them. And she is like super attracted to the warlock. Yeah, she was like real into him. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she said, uh, I thought you were with the other grope. I mean group. I'm like, that's <laughs> not how that's not how words work. That's not how Freud <laughs> works. <laughs> that's not how any of this works. Uh yeah, so she yeah, so she lets her guard down. Uh rookie move, because she's gonna get murdered. Um, and she offers to channel a spirit. Uh, the war- warlock says he wants to talk to his father, uh, Zamael, which is that another name for Satan? I never did look that up. I don't know. I assume it has to be based on like the rest of the context of what happens. There's a baby name meeting of this thing. In I any think, case, I believe it's supposed to be. I think they took a, a lot Satan, of liberties. Like, you know, no, <laughs> they didn't use actual real life warlock lore. Yeah. <laughs> bullshit. I can't believe it's not real. But anyways, so uh, yeah, the he wants to talk to his father, who goes by many names, but one of the names is Zamiel, so I guess it's supposed to be Satan. Um, then uh, when they're in the room, they're doing all kinds of like, you know, she's doing some fake version of her channeling because it's not real. Uh, so she's pretending to be Zamiel, and the warlock is like, "How about we wait for the real Zamiel?" Uh, and then that's when Mary, uh, Mary Warnov's character gets. Uh, occupied by satan and her face becomes demony i guess you could say yeah like was... her face gets all puffed up and her eyes are all black and her teeth are sharp pretty disturbing it was pretty messed up yeah poor mary warnov got occupied by zamiel the demon man she, she didn't see it coming <laughs> nope and she won't see much more as we will learn because Zamiel, uh, in the body of the channeler, Mary Warnov, uh, says that he wants his Bible, something called the Grand Grimoire. Uh, you know, and this is kind of an interesting situation <clears throat> because a warlock is like, oh, I want a reward for this. Like, how will, how will I be rewarded? And Zamiel's like, serving Satan is its own reward. And the warlock is not playing that game because he says a most cunning witch deserves a reward. Like, cause like that was the idea is that it takes a cunning witch to get the three pieces of the grand grimoire, which I don't think I mentioned it, but the grand grimoire as the, as Zamiel mentioned has been thirded. So there's, you know, three pieces of the grand grimoire. Mm-hmm. So, you know, God adventure. Um, but yeah, so that was when the, uh, Zamiel, uh, promises 
that he will be the one begotten son, which they don't explain what that means, but I'm guessing it's some kind of satanic messiah thing. Yeah, I think it's like the Antichrist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I figure that's probably what it is. Yeah, some kind of satanic messiah. So, yeah, uh, Warlock is like, hell yeah, I'm down for that, and agrees. And then Samuel's like, let mine eyes guide you, at which point the Warlock uh, takes a knife and cuts the eyes out of the channeler, which now look like kind of goofy little goop eyes. Because <laughs> they have like a weird, like, they still look like, kind of like demon eyes, but they're also like looking around like little Muppet eyes. I really thought they were going to show the eyes getting pulled out. Well, you know, they were supposed to do. This is the, this is the first of a, a couple of, uh, uh, sequences that I don't know if they were shot or if they were just planned. I thought this one was actually shot that the, uh, the killing was actually a lot more gruesome, but they ended up editing it down to what you see. The other one is later with, uh, the, well, we'll get there. The, yep. the one. Yeah. So like th- there's a couple of scenes that they decided this one. I don't know why they cut it out. Cause I think this one, they actually filmed like Mary Warnoff actually filmed the scene where it was much more gruesome, but they cut this out. Um, so yeah, I definitely expected a little bit more than just like off screen, cutting out some little Muppet eyes that now look around in the palm of the warlock's hand. But anyways, uh, back at the house, Cassandra has arrived finding that it is now a crime scene. Uh, as you know, because Chaz is dead. Um, so what happens? Uh, she's walking around the house. She's like kind of spooked and, and concerned about everything around every corner, but she doesn't see when there are actually shadows in one of the rooms suggesting a person is in there. Um, and then Cassandra gets surprised by Redfern, um, who asks his, he speaks in a way that seems even for his era, uh, very difficult to figure out what it is that he's saying. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so he like asks her. He, he finds like the shackles from like the was it was he found the shackles from the the warlock and he's like, did he who wore these bleed was swear or something like that? It's like, all right, calm down, man. This isn't Shakespeare. You don't have to talk like that. But I don't even think um, Shakespeare talked like that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> is like this is like pre Shakespeare bullshit. I mean, not chronologically, but maybe like in terms of how they wrote it, definitely. <laughs> Probably everyone's like this fucking weirdo. They're probably so happy. He's like, oh, thank God he's gone. Got zapped through a portal and he's going to talk like a psychopath. Because then even when they were going to interrogate the one of the other priests, like talks and it's like normal. I mean, they talk a little old timey, but no one talks quite like Redfern does. Like he says a thither and then thither. Yeah, he always says. Okay, that actually bothered me. He yeah. says, "You go thither, I'll go thither." It's like, why does he say hither and thither? At least like. I don't know that bothered that actually bothered me more than I care to say, <laughs> which is probably too much for for what this movie is, but it did. Uh, but anyways, uh, yeah. So when he asks a question about whether or not the warlock bled, uh, Cassandra screams, um, you know, as you'd expect, and Redfern just punches her in the face, yeah, like full on, just wow, yeah, like 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 floors her, I'm like geez, dude, like I get you're from a different era, but come on. Uh, so yeah, so Redfern reveals that he knows that the warlock came in through the window because he has his like warlock detective skills going. Uh, Cassandra at that point does reluctantly help him by showing where the warlock bled those glass shards from the window because I think I mentioned he was like kind of cut up when he came through. He'd yeah. already used his wizard powers to heal himself. I'm sorry, warlock powers. Can't say that. Can't say wizard powers. It's a different thing. Uh, but his warlock powers had already healed him by the morning, which Cassandra did remark on. Um, 
But yeah, so I put in my notes, Redfern is up to weird stuff, uh, putting some blood into a little vial from the glass shards. Uh, while he's hard at work, uh, Cassandra calls 911, uh, and then she tries to go out the window, but Redfern grabs her again. Um, what is it? He asks her w- where her well is, and this is like one of our who's on first situations. Right. Where like she doesn't understand him because his accent is in- like almost impossible to understand sometimes. It's like, where's your well? But she's like, whale? And then he's like, well, water, whatever. And she's like, oh, and then shows him that indoor plumbing uh, exists. And then we, this is like one of the few situations where I would have loved a little fish out of water thing where he's like, oh, you have running water nowadays, I see. But instead, we don't get that. He just goes to work. Yeah, his Um, hatred just blinds him to like what's happening around him. He's like, so chill with a lot of stuff. He's seeing miracles to yeah. his like to what to him would be miracles, but he's like, like even when the, busy like, the we'll get there, but even when the cops show up, he makes a comment. It's like, oh, come on, dude. But yeah, it took you till then to realize. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, yeah, exactly. But don't worry. Uh, yeah. Uh what's her nuts gets another chance to uh do another <laughs> Abbott and Costello bit. Yeah, in in this time. scene. So. Am I at it yet? Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah, I am at it. God, I forgot about dude, this. Dude, she okay. did the same joke. <laughs> Twice in a row, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's like, you know, he's like, now, brood, one last time, will we play the game out? And then, you know, Redfern's putting together his witch compass, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what he tells Cassandra, who thinks he says witch, like which one? And then he, and then, thank God what? they let that go, like, because that whole movie, like, because it's funny it, when you're trying to annoy someone, but it gets <laughs> to a point where it's like, okay, like, we yeah, he's like witch and he's like wait witch and he's like no witch but like in what world would him saying witch like w-h-i-c-h make sense there it's like oh this is my witch compass she's like oh yeah a, witch compass she's like a no banana brain so she is a- <sighs> wow dude i didn't even put that in my notes because i was so cringed out by that i hope i remember where it was she's but like yeah, i'm gonna does- flirt with this guy by talking about his dead girlfriend that's <laughs> fucking perfect she is yeah she's really good at what she does uh anyways tell, i'm not not a fan you are not a fan of her character at all um but yeah no anyways so uh the witch compass is taking a long time uh because as redfern says the blood was thin uh but by then the cops have arrived to arrest redfern um so then she says you're running out of time buddy and that's when he sees the i guess he sees the lights he like looks at the window and sees the cops are coming Mm-hmm. And he immediately knows to run away. That's what we all do. Uh, but then he goes and sees the cops are out front. And that's when he finally knows he's not just elsewhere, but back in or forward in time. Right. Like, oh, I thought it was in Cambridge or something. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? It's like, I thought it was in the Carolinas. Yeah, but Carolinas, tra- that's what it was. <laughs> I guess I've traveled further than I expected. It's like, yeah, no shit, dude. There's entire light bulbs of light everywhere. Like you just... Use indoor plumbing, you psycho. And then like, he how whips do you not out know of... you... Oh, yeah. No, yeah. So when he when he runs out there to the cops, he's like, he tries to fight the cops with a whip. Like he's Simon Belmont or some shit. Fucking Indiana Jones. They just tase him. <laughs> they just tase him immediately. Like wordlessly tases, dude. And he goes down. Uh, but yeah, they detain him. He's yelling about how the warlock is going to end all of all of creation or whatever. And it's like. Eh, I tell it to the judge, buddy. They haul him in. Uh, Cassandra is advised by the cop to leave the house because this is the second time an intruder has done something here, um, which uh, she says, time me, and then proceeds to take a thousand years. 
because uh, she's like trying to do it, um, cleaning up and stuff like that, getting her her all of her things into her car at once instead of like maybe doing it later. Um, and then she's in what the room where the witch compass was and notices now that it has turned. It's pointing directly out her front door. And then she goes out her front door and guess what's there at the end of her driveway. Julian Sands. It's Julian Sands. Julian Sands himself just kind of standing there menacingly. Like, yeah, you think he's approached by now, but no, he's just chilling. So yeah, he he's, he's running in. Uh, so, uh, you know, she, she shuts the door, uh, assuming that'll be sufficient to stop, uh, someone who eviscerated her roommate, but, uh, she calls nine one one, but this time she's put on hold, which is, <laughs> you know, kind of a bummer, but you know, we need a plot to happen. Um, so she tries to find a way out, uh, only to, uh, what see the warlock in warlock pose behind her. Um, what does that mean? He, oh yeah, he, sh- he always strikes those weird poses and it, she's like going out the window and warlock is there. So, um, grabs her, uh, and I wish I, I wish I could like, that's one thing about this being an audio medium is like, if I could just explain to people how it is that julian sands stands like he always has these like interesting poses as the warlock that i think are like 90 percent of what make his character who he is so he has the one arm up when i was saying he has the yeah he has like the ones with his like hands like on his hips kind of he has like all these different poses that are interesting um but yeah at that point uh you know the warlock drags her to the dining room i put for some reason because then once he gets to the dining room uh, he gets way more interested in uh, breaking open this ancient ass table uh, to find the first batch of pages from the Grand Grimoire. That's why it was important that we establish that Chaz likes old furniture. They had a hundred year old couch because here he has like a, you know, 300 year old table that has Grand Grimoire pages in it. But yeah, while he's distracted, uh, you know, trying to warlock out those pages, uh, Cassandra tries to uh, get to a window. It's like one of those weird... 80 style windows that are kind of like like flaps she like opens up the flaps and starts breaking them open yeah uh but she's grabbed by the warlock who's now outside and takes her bracelet and hexes her uh with a series of rhymes that i will not try to repeat here because this is the first of a few times that he does a intricate series of rhymes he's like the dr seuss of space yes yeah he's always doing like these rhymes um, but the important part is a decade twice over a day is what she will age. Smash cut next day. Hey, hey guess what? What? If you thought she was insufferable as a 20 year old, guess what? Dude, don't even get me started on it. I've got comments. We'll wait. So we'll, the next we'll day there. she wakes up and she's aged 20 years, uh, to now, uh, supposedly be 40. Uh, she looks way older than 40. And I'm not just saying that because I'm only like, four years away from that, but there's no chance that that's supposed to be for <laughs> She's like, all of her hair is gray and she's already like starting to like get like older. But like, I feel like they must, at one point this was supposed to be older than it is. Like it's supposed to be more than 20 years each day. And they decided to make it 20 years. Cause it would have made her too old the second day or something. Right. But she definitely does not look like a 40 year old person. <laughs> Unless people just aged a lot faster back then. Yeah, I don't know. I it was it was strange. Um but the cool theme that kind of popped up here was that his like 
cruel the warlock's cruelty like kind of bites him in the ass because you know had he just left like that place she never would have went and gotten him out of jail and then he would have been able to go do whatever he wanted and no one would have stopped him so i think that's pretty interesting yeah yeah he basically created his own nemesis because now she has a reason to come after the warlock correct i suppose if he just like you know bailed she'd be like oh that was weird okay so go back to my life you know yep so yeah, way to go, Warlock, you idiot. But yeah, so um, oh yeah, Smash Cut to Police Station where Cassandra has now released Redfern, which don't know how. I guess she just said, "Hey, never mind. He can't be the murderer because I need his help." Yeah, they don't really explain a lot. Yeah, I mean, I guess she maybe she just went over and was like it couldn't have been him because I think she's reasons. like secretly rich. Uh, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I mean, she has a pretty nice car. And also seemingly unlimited credit card. No, nah, she unplugged the machine before. It That's ran. true. Yeah, that is true. That is true. But which doesn't make sense to me. But yeah. Anyways, um, so she, yeah, so she's like, um, doesn't want to be old, so she's getting Redfern out to help her. Yeah, they're getting into her car, and he tries to get into the car behind her in the driver's side. And that's when she's like, "Hey, you're not a local product, are you?" And then has him go around to the other door. Uh, and then they like do a nice cut to her saying 1691, which saves us the pain of like the exposition of him right. explaining to her that he's from the past. So we just get there right away. And like, what was it? The red friend says queer. It seems to you queer, even so to me, like who's talking like, that's such a weird way to phrase that. But yeah, no, I don't think it's any weirder to her that you're any weirder to you that you time traveled is just to her that now you've time traveled and also a warlock is real, but okay. Um, yeah. Cassandra at that point has some pretty, uh, unrelatable like concerns. She says 20 years and not a single party. He's like, I mean, it wasn't literally 20 years lady. You just aged. Um, yeah. Redfern reveals that the spell will be countered. Uh, if she takes back her bracelet that the warlock had taken from her, uh, she doesn't believe that it's going to be possible to get to the warlock. So at that point, she's like, hey, I'll just color my hair and get a short skirt and be like the rich older women that run around L.A., I guess, is what she says, something yep. like that. Well, she says like rich bitches or something like that, but I, was, I don't really approve of that language. But <laughs> that's what she said. And then Redfern's like, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, you're not aged. You are aging. And it's going to be 20 years each day, which is going to become all the more clear how terrible this is because, and also part of the reason that her old age makeup looks so bad, uh, both now and then at the next cycle, cause she's going to cycle up again, spoiler alert, uh, at both 40 and 60 is because, um, the original plan was, there's going to be some prosthetics too, to like kind of change like more than just like makeup and stuff like that. But like Lori Singer, after agreeing to it on set, then refused. So there's supposed to be additional prosthetic work that would have made it look a little more convincing as opposed to just like, I think that's why they made the gray hair so dramatic. Right. Like when she's at 40 and like full head of gray hair, I'm like, come on, man. Like, that's not how that works. So, yeah. And if you thought she was insufferable at 40, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> going to be another buckle up folks, because apparently in 1989, if you turned 60, you were pretty much dead. Yeah. <laughs> and incapable of doing anything like running, moving quickly. Uh, I don't know. Like I, a couple of these scenes coming up, I was just like, 
she's like running after something and like not, I'm like, okay, maybe is she having like a diabetic episode, which would make more sense. No, it's just cause she's old. Yeah. So. They, they, yeah. Again, like 60 is not that old really either anymore. <laughs> like, no. this is a, like, and I don't think it was really that old back then either, but here we go. Um, uh, in any case, yeah, she finds out that she's going to be aging 20 years every day. Uh, cut to Cassandra screaming into a valley while Redfern tinkers with his witch compass, which leads me to believe they just drove somewhere. So she get out and scream and he could just dick around with this like device. It's fair trade, which, which is also confusing because then Redfern is like, let us tarry not. And it's like, you were literally had stopped there for no other reason than to tarry. Like what? Like, why did you get out of the car here? Redfern? Like, bro, you got out of the car. Anyway, it doesn't matter. We got to move on. Because who Don't cares? Terry. I'm not going to. I'm certain that I'm going to Terry. If Redfern's not. Uh, yeah. So Cassandra insists uh, they're the only way uh, that she's only the, she, she's only in this whole thing to get her bracelet. Stop the aging. She's not here to, like, stop the warlock or do any of this other stuff. Um, and then we have a cool, like, quick cut to the uh, warlock just walking through the desert, reading his book, looking fly as hell in his black outfit. Yeah. So he must be so hot. And this they scene doesn't seem to matter other than we just see the warlock still walking. Um, but yeah, back in the car, uh, they're driving along the highway. Red Fern is uh, chewing on his leather whip uh, with the salt that he had taken from uh, Cassandra's apartment in order to make sure it's salted because witches loathe salt, as he says, because she asks like, hey, if you're hungry, we can get you food. You don't have to chew on leather like a weirdo. But no, no, no. He's chewing on it to put salt in it, which, uh, which you know, seems just, silly, yeah. but actually does work later. Could just soaked it in salt water. Well, you know, he had he he doesn't fully understand this world yet. And there's one thing I know for sure about Redfern is he's not going to try. Um, <laughs> but then we get a kind of funny scene where Redfern is like, uh, must you travel on one side of the roadway or can you travel on whichever side you like? And she's like, oh, only on one side. And then he like swerves because she had like drifted into the oncoming lane. And then she makes a joke about like, uh, uh, you know, typical man already thinking you can drive better than me or whatever, you know, it's like, you just almost killed them. That was a semi truck. You almost yep. drove into anyway. It doesn't matter. Here we go to a desert trailer park where there's a boy throwing a football and talking to himself. Uh, and he throws it up and the warlock catches it and gives the kid a smile. Oh no. What's going to happen? Uh, Oh, at first, nothing. <laughs> The, the kid's just sitting on a swing set playing some electronic football game and they're like passing it back and forth and playing against each other, which is kind of a funny scene because a warlock just seems to be chilling with this kid for no reason. Uh, it turns out there there is going to be a reason he's hanging out with this kid. But yeah, in, apparently the, the warlock is terrible at football. He like what punts on a first down or something. And the kid says, not even not even Tampa Bay would do that. Yeah, it was a solid. Yeah, it was a solid. Uh... Solid burn on Football Tampa reference. Bay from yeah. 1989. Yeah. So um, then, the, yeah, the warlock's like, hey, he hears like some church music. It's like, oh, from whence comes it? There's something. He also likes to phrase things as awkwardly as possible. Um, but then he explains to the kid, I mean the music, kid. I mean the music. The boy reveals that there is a church going on. Uh, and when the warlock asks why he's not there, he's like, well, uh, my dad doesn't believe in that stuff about Jesus and the 12 apostrophes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the warlock uh, reveals that no witch can go into a church. The boy's like, witches are girls. Uh, and then, you know, the warlock's like, well, some witches are not. And like, whatever. And then he says, well, you you know, you don't. Uh, witches fly on broomsticks. 
And the warlock says, I don't need a broomstick to fly. And the boy asks what he needs. And then the warlock laughs and then, uh, you know, moves in closer to like in smiling at like the obviously alarmed at that point, boy, uh, he kills him. He's killed. He's going to kill this kid. That's the, that's the point of it. Um, which again, there's another scene here where this boy was going to be killed. Um, but they didn't, they decided having a graphic murder of a child wouldn't be good for this movie for some reason. Probably a solid choice. (laughs) Probably the right choice. Yeah. 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 Uh, meanwhile, uh, at a gas station, uh, Cassandra, uh, gives uh, Redfern some pretty bad advice about how credit cards work. Doesn't she say something like you can max out the limit and then just go 50 at a time or something like that? Yeah, something dumb. It's like, whoo, that's not how that works. Um, then they hear some gunshots coming from the hills. Uh, the gas station attendant reveals that a boy at the local trailer park was killed by a coyote that had come down from the kill from the hills. Uh, so people are out there trying to just like murder the hell out of every cow- coyote they see. Uh, Redfern is troubled by this because of how the gas station attendant described it, which is what the boy's skin was taken clean off by the coyote or something. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, then Redfern does something pretty uncool, which is he identifies the mother of the dead boy <laughs> and uh, says like, he, he prefaces it as best as he can by saying for your loss, I grieve, but was your boy baptized? Yeah. And the mother is appropriately like, what the hell are you asking me that for? Um, but then she does answer. No, her, his father wouldn't allow it. Uh, and then Cassandra knowing, uh, something's up, uh, is like asks, you know, what's the story more in glory. She asks him like, what's the scoop or something. She always is asking things in such weird ways. And Redfern uh, explains that, uh, fat cut, fat cut from an unbaptized male child will give the warlock, uh, a flying potion. So he killed an unbaptized boy in order to get the ability to fly. So, uh, yikes. Um, yeah. And then just like that cut to the warlock, uh, yeah. boiling a can of human boy fat and then guzzling it down immediately afterwards, which it would still be boiling hot, but he doesn't care. He's a warlock. Uh, and then there's probably one of the dumber scenes. That yeah. I'd say seen. this is my least favorite scene of the movie. <laughs> Jesus. Like, we which get is it. like a, yeah, the cop sitting there seeing his like, uh, you know, whatever it's called, the uh, the uh, speedometer on his like radar gun going up and up and up, and all of a sudden a very fake looking version of the warlock comes flying by. This looked like a shitty SNL skit. It was pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. it was pretty bad. And then he's like got well like elbow up, like leaned over, like he's got such a weird pose to be in. Luckily, the flying effects will get better. No. <laughs> That's true. They will not. There are like so many ways they could have done it and they chose poorly. It's like Indiana Jones and the, uh, what is it? The last crusade. Yep. Yeah. They definitely chose poorly. Uh, Um, so then there we go. Uh, this is kind of a funny ish scene. Uh, I know you don't like a lot of the Cassandra scenes, uh, but she like turns on the radio and Redfern seems like super interested in it. And she's like, Oh, there aren't, little people in there inside of there and he's like i gathered because he's not an idiot (laughs) (laughs) and then she says so you know the earth is round and red friends like yeah we've known for some years now (laughs) like she's just over here like trying to show off she's like well if there's anything you want to know ask me because i did take two years of high school (laughs) it's like all right 
Better watch out. She's got the inside scoop. Which pretty much explained everything about what was happening. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. But uh, at that point, yeah, Redfern is uh, more interested in why she, what does he say, paints her face. Right, yep. Yeah, because that's something that Satanists do, not goodly women. Which, you know, uh, Cassandra kind of rightfully pushes back on. Like, hey, you mean women back then didn't put on makeup or whatever? Uh, and that's when uh, Redfern lets drop the existence of uh, Marion. I think he phrases it, my Marion would never have like painted her face in that way because she was a goodly woman. And this is when Cassandra kind of pries about it. And uh, her prying results in Redfern insisting that she stop the coach, which is what he calls a car, uh, so he can get their bearings. He's actually upset about the line of questioning about Marion from Cassandra. And that's when she calls herself a banana head. Yeah, banana brain. Oh, banana brain. I'm sorry. Yeah, banana get it head. right. Ooh, man, yeah. I would have had to make, glad you corrected me. I would have had to make an apology yeah. next, next that- episode. And that would have been an embellished one. <laughs> oh, I said banana head instead the of banana pomp, brain. The pomp for that apology would have set set some records. So just trying to save you. Anyways, while Redford's dicking around with his witch compass outside, Cassandra gets hit with her next wave of aging. Uh, granted, she looks like she's ancient as hell. because She has wrinkly old hands and her hair is even longer. Because her hair has been growing each time, too. And it's all gray as hair, and her face looks a little bit grizzled. Uh, but again, 60 doesn't look that old. She looks like she's, like, 90. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it was but, weird. And then she's like, well, why don't? Why didn't he just kill me? Nothing can be worse than this. It's like, I bet you I could ask any given 60-year-old person, and they would much rather be alive than be murdered by a warlock. Look, I'm just, I'm sorry, man. I'm just speaking out of turn here, but come on. We should start a poll. <laughs> hey, every six year old, would you rather be dead? Would you rather be dead at the hands of a warlock or alive right now? Um, oh, yeah. And then that was something like uh, where Redfern says, uh, I think that was his point was to make you suffer. Right. I can't do his accent. It's impossible for me to make that accent at all. Because his accent is basically like, what is it? an irish accent i thought it was scottish is it scottish i don't know i can't identify accents what it look like an accent man i would have picked scottish well maybe it is dude over here asking you anyhow uh cut to a farmhouse where the warlock seems to have found his next third of the grand grimoire and he's reading it in an attic and he's so excited about it dude like if he weren't evil i'd be like this man's learning some stuff he is excited about he like lifts his hand up and does some like poorly animated powers from the information he's reading. Like such a innocent, pure moment of like learning skills, except that his skills are evil. At that point, an old farmer man complains to his son that the cream they brought in uh, has already gone bad, even though the younger his son uh, and his son is younger than him, but his son is middle aged like this. The older farmer is old as hell. He's probably actually 60. It's like, no, he's probably older than 60. But, um, <clears throat> so they said, oh, we just brought that cream in yesterday. It's like, oh man. Um, and then what the farmer goes and he like, we don't know what it is that the old farmer finds, but he's in there like t- to take care of the horses. And he sees something about the horses that gives him pause. And do you remember what it was that he saw about the horse that made him think something's afoot? Uh, I don't remember. 
It had a sweaty back yeah, in the morning. There, yeah. A sweaty back in the morning on a horse means that witches, my man. So yeah, uh, so when he finds the horse has a sweaty back and he notices the open attic door at the top of the farmhouse, the farmer's like, it's on now, baby. So he like gets a can of paint and then paints. <laughs> he goes to paint on the side of the barn. We don't see it yet, but he's going to paint a hex sign up there, which is kind of funny. Um, so yeah, so uh, at that point, the we get back to the car and the witch compass is now strung up in the center, and which is pretty slick. To kind of have it like in the middle, like a little GPS. Yeah. Like a Garmin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they have that. So yeah, uh, the old Cassandra uh, does try to ask about Marion again. Um, and Redfern you know, pushes back in a more reasonable way this time. He's like, yesterday you cared not to know these things. And Cassandra says yesterday was 20 years ago. Which is kind of a unexpectedly uh, poignant, poignant remark yeah. from Cassandra. Yeah. We don't get that. We don't get a lot of those. You don't. Uh, but <laughs> You really hate Cassandra. Um, but yeah, Cassandra deduces that Marion is the reason that uh, Redfern is after the warlock. Uh, and seemingly correctly so. Because uh, Redfern reveals uh, that Marion was his good wife. Uh, but he lost her to the warlock long before uh, he came to this time. Like, so before he even, like, got transported. Uh, at that point, they're driving and we see on the side of the barn... What he sees, which is that giant hex mark that the old farmer drew on giant. the side of the barn. It's so big. Like, it could not miss it. So, yeah, he's like, yelling, like, you know, Redfern is like, pull over. We got to stop the car. And he like, what well, he like runs. He's like going to run into the house. And then she's like, what about the witch compass? He's like, if God's with us, then we won't need it anymore. He's like, hey, man, you should still bring your witch compass. Like, he's just it. driven up to the door. Yeah, also, yeah, no need to run across the, the field. There is a driveway. Uh, but anyways, uh, then the like the the younger farmer, and I say younger in relation to the old farmer, uh, she pulls, like, what, like some bread out of the oven, and she's like, it's baked, but it didn't rise at all. Uh, and then, you know, Redfern bursts in and, like, asks if they require aid because of the hex mark. And then, like, the, the farmer is like, I haven't seen a hex mark in, like, 30 years. Then, like, the old man farmer comes out. He's like, it is I who drew the hex mark. And Redfern instantly asks him if he's Amish. And he's like, no, nah, I'm Mennonite, man. What are you talking about? So, like, yeah, I guess I'd explain the modern tools. This scene, Sorry, I didn't interrupt you. You're going to say something? Yeah, but this scene reminded me of um, the uh, Lancelot scene from uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail when he's busting into that wedding and just starts fucking <laughs> shit up at that party. It's yeah, like, he just like busts into their yeah. kitchen and stuff like that. And then like the other farmer is his reaction is like, why are you in my kitchen? His reaction is like, I haven't seen a hex mark in like 30 years. Like he's right. not even like concerned. Well, um, in any case, uh, yeah, the, the, when he is, the old man does identify himself as Mennonite, which I don't think that in 1691 Amish or Mennonite existed yet, but I could be wrong. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, but the old Mennonite, you know, uh, number one, his son is like, uh, or no, his son doesn't doesn't do it yet. So he show, the old Mennonite shows Redfern uh, where the open attic door is. Uh, Redfern has him get a hammer and nails so that he can go up there on a ladder and hammer it shut so that the warlock can't fly out with his flying powers. Um, and at that point, Redfern's like, you got to get some kids and get out of here, get kids out of here so I can do my work. Uh, the farmer, the younger of the two farmers, uh, doesn't want to leave, but the old Mennonite says that his son knows the signs, and then he lists them in case we forgot. 
Horse sweats in the morning. Cream that spoils overnight. You know the sign, son. Get out of here. And then, you know, at that point, they do some preparations. It's kind of weird. So Redfern uh, says they can't show any fear to the warlock, uh, for it is the air he breathes, uh, whatever that means. Uh, We learn that it later means that he'll hex you with an evil eye if you look like you're scared. He also gives them pennies to put in their mouths, which I feel like he was just goofing on him at that point. That didn't seem to do much to help. Uh, But anyways, Redfern heads up to the spooky attic in hopes of finding the warlock, but instead he finds only a bat jump scare, which he throws a knife, throwing knife at and kills that bat instantly. Um, So dead bat. And then he undoes and then he like pulls the knife out of the dead bat. And then the dead bats on the ground, he like kicks it and like, Hey man, like it's dead. Uh, Redfern sees there's an open window up in the top of the attic. Uh, so he thinks that the warlock must have left through that window. Um, he goes and sees like this, uh, broken, they describe it as a chest, but didn't it look more like a lectern or something like that. Yeah. It was some kind of like, yeah, that's a good, good way to say it. It looked like a lectern to me, but yeah, but then he, he goes in there and he finds a piece of the grand grimoire that has been left behind. Um, in order to, he reads it for a bit, uh, gets an idea about what it is. And then he like, what rips it in half so that then the pages magically come back together. And that's when he knows that the grand grimoire is what the warlock's up to. At this point, he didn't even realize what the warlock was up to. He thought he's just on a standard warlock chase. No, 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 sir. No, no, no. He's after the devil's book. Um, and then uh, he explains this to Cassandra and the old Mennonite. Um, and Cassandra correctly questions why the warlock would leave behind a page if it's that big of a deal. And then Redfern realizes that he wouldn't and closes the steps of the attic again and goes in. Uh, the warlock rolls in. And this is the first the warlock's learning that uh, Redfern is also in the 20th century. So he says something like, of all the things I've seen here, this is the most surprising. It's like come on man you must have seen more surprising things than that you played a video game right like <laughs> in any case um at that point uh you know redfern or, or the warlock says redfern is like he sees the open window he's like you forget i can fly redfern's like you f- i forget nothing and like uses his whip to shut the window like a certified badass uh so he's trapped in there with him now um then redfern like grabs takes his knife and just straight up like goes to eviscerate the warlock, which apparently would have worked before, but now he has enough of the grimoire pages that he just heals. So Well no, he stabbed the he stabbed the pages and he cut the pages in half. And the book healed its because that's that's how I thought that is his his stomach and shirt repairing itself. No, that was the, the so remember he took he opened his uh war cool warlock shirt and stuffed all the grimoire pages in his chest area, like in the stomach. So whenever uh, he was stabbed there, uh, it, it ripped the pages up and the pages seemed back together. Oh, I thought that it was him also repairing. Like nope. I thought that it, it was didn't enough. go. It didn't go through. I think it's because it, he even makes that comment about the book. Oh, yeah. He says, I guess two thirds was sufficient or something like that. Yeah, because the thickness. Hey, oh, thickness. Anyways, uh, the warlock blasts Redfern with some a- animation magic. Uh, he goes out the window and falls down at the field below. And this is a pretty wild fight that happens. Yeah. So I'll go through it as quickly as I can. Cause it also looks kind of terrible because the flight, the flight uh, effects are terrible. Uh, so warlock comes out, uses warlock powers to grab a weather vane 
and throw it like a telekinetic projectile down at uh, Redfern. Uh, misses, narrowly misses his testicle area. He does like a split to avoid it. Redfern then uses his whip to get the warlock's foot, which is burning him because of the salt. We get some really bad flying effects while he's like being kind of dragged through the field by the flying warlock. Yeah. Like Redfern is. Man, they could have done that so much better too. Like, you know, they can because later on, some of the flying effects at the final fight aren't bad. Like, it's they like, could have put them on strings. There's so many ways they could have made that better. Like, why green screen? I don't know. Oh, man. I, but just, yeah, so he's, that decision he's, was weird. Yeah. So he was, so like Redfern's dragged along, and then the warlock uh, manages to shake him and then flies into the barn, but the, um, the whip is still attached. So it what gets like jammed in the barn door. Yeah. So you know the warlock is still in there. Um, then the warlock, you know, finally like is able to shake the whip and then comes out. But unfortunately, his flying effects take him too long to turn around and fly away. At which point, uh, <laughs> at which point, uh, Redfern grabs the uh, weather vane and then throws it like a spear and gets him in the shoulder and takes him down. Which I was reading like the Wikipedia synopsis, and it said that that was uh, the weather vane is cold iron, which they never say that is cold iron, but based on how it behaves, the way it like uh, affects magic and stuff like that, it's like it must be cold iron, right? <laughs> but it's such a weird thing to not even like remark on it, like why it made the warlock fall, or why later they're able to use it to test if like cemetery ground is hallowed or not. It's yeah, and they don't even f- offer any like oh cold iron like nothing. There's they no- don't even yeah not even like a quick aside. It just is that. But yeah, yeah. So they like Redfern. Uh, now that Warlock is down, uh, he's attempting to get him back into his very uncomfortable foot and hand clamps. They're having like the struggle. Uh, the what the old farmer takes off the Warlock's boots so they can get to his bare feet. Uh, that's going to become important soon. Uh, Cassandra reaches into, I think, the warlock's pocket for some reason and pulls out the gross eyeballs. <laughs> She's like, Ugh. which seems like an, a quick aside for no reason, but it's actually important because without it those is. eyeballs, the warlock doesn't know how to track down uh, the last piece of the grimoire. That's why you had to follow them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, unfortunately, even though, uh, you know, Red Fern starts to get those crazy uh shackles back on our uh our warlock the mennonite farmer uh decides to look into his eyes despite red for redfern's warnings and he gets hexed by an evil eye which was a pretty crazy effect because it started out with the farmer's eyes going black and like bleeding black and then just started like bleeding regular blood yeah it was pretty cool yeah that evil eye hex was pretty sick but yeah so uh redfern is like i need brass keys so i can protect him or whatever and, you know, Cassandra's like, yo, the, you know, warlock's getting away and he doesn't want to let the farmer die. He's like, I'm going to stay behind and I need to help him. He'll die without me. And then gives him like a hammer, uh, gives, gives Cassandra a hammer. And <laughs> this is kind of a funny situation. It's like, like, take this and take nails and hammer his footprints. And then, and then she's like, what will that do? Or whatever. It's like, it's a blessed hammer. It will cripple him or whatever. What's that like, movie where... That little boy, it's a uh, tall tale heart. And the, it's like the wild bill pesos and John Henry and like Oliver Platt's, uh, he's Paul Bunyan. I think it's just uh tall tale, tall tale. Is that okay? So tall tale. And it's like, 
I feel like at some point he was just making shit up. He's like, here's his hammer. Just like fucking hit the ground with these nails and he'll be just not able to walk. You know, you'll be good. And then what if she just believes it enough? It'll work. Like, Cause why didn't they do that in the house the first time? Like he definitely had to walk through all that blood. Uh, you know what? Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Cause he, de- well, I don't know because like, didn't he say that it had to be in dirt or something like that? Or no, it just said his footprint. So it could have been in anything really. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I yeah, don't know. She does it to his head. Well, spoiler alert, man. Like, that's. Uh, we're right there. I mean, like. That is true, yeah. yeah. But I thought that was actually a chill move, like, pretty cool move. It was, did. it was. But I'm just saying, like, why didn't. Like, it's not her fault that that asshole didn't tell her about that earlier. Like, <laughs> dude, just, you know what I mean? Like, he's like, oh, by the way, here's some other crazy shit I'm just going to make up. I hope it works. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's a blessed hammer. It's like, in what regard? I don't understand what that means. Anyways, this Mennonite's hammer is blessed. Well, was it the Mennonite's hammer or was it one that he had with him? I have no idea. I don't know. Whatever. And I don't think you do either. It's, I would never pretend to. Yeah. But anyways, somehow this hammer, if she ham- if she hammers nails into his footprints, Check because there's hammer. also additional rules to this, uh, which we'll find out as we go. So the warlock has made it to like a little train yard. Uh, and he's struggling to get his, he still has his like finger, like one of his finger and toe clamps hooked up. Like, I don't even know how he'd run as far as he did. And he like stumbles and falls into the dirt. His head also hits the dirt, which as you said, will be important. Mm-hmm. Um, Cassandra is wandering around the train yard until she finds some footprints. She also runs into a couple of train workers. And I expected this to be more of a, like an impediment to her situation than it was. But they're like, Hey, do you need anything? She's like, no. Nah. And just walks away with his hammer and they just don't care. Right. I'm like, what was the point of that? Just like a, Oh, this could be a problem. No, it's not. These guys aren't paid nearly enough to give a shit about what she's doing. Like, oh, she's sundowning. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. <laughs> uh, she's just some ancient lady, age <laughs> sixty. Um, but yeah, so um, she does start to find some footprints, and she's hammering into them. And this is pretty satisfying because this warlock's a jerk. So every time she hammers, he's like screaming in pain. Uh, but then uh, he has a way to combat it which is that he rips a board up from the train car he's in and then rests his feet on it like while laying on his back. And apparently that makes him immune to the effects of the hammer. Man, if anyone knows anything about like (laughs) witch hunting or warlock hunting and like, could you please just message us or like tweet at us or something about how if this shit is bullshit, because like that just seems so crazy to me (laughs) that he can just put his feet up on a board and then he's fine. Yeah. yeah it's he's very just, weird. He's just good. Like, yeah, I'm good. Don't worry about it. And he was like, really like he, he had like a moment of like, ah, uh, like, yeah, it's right. like, finally I'm, I'm cured, you know? So like, great. Uh, so yeah, she knows after she hammers when she doesn't hear his screams. So she knows it isn't working anymore. And then Cassandra finds that head mark from when he fell. And this is where I thought that she was like really innovative. Cause she just takes it and then hammers that and he screams and it knocks him the hell out. Right. Like that dude is out cold. Cause he just got nailed in the head. Um, and then, you know, after knocking him out, his hand falls out of the box car and she sees it and it's her bracelet on his wrist. So she knows that that's what she needs. But then of course what happens, the train starts moving, Shane, the train starts moving at a breakneck pace. At a at a pace unseen by human eyes. It's like I watched the flash. 
dude, literally CW's the flash right now. Um, so yeah, so she, she's right. She's 60, but she's running like she's in her like mid nine. It was like walking dead, quick walk, like fast yeah. walk, zombie move. Like, like, yes, I'm relatively confident. Most 60 year olds I know could uh, run faster than this. And she falls, but still gets up and like catches up with it. But she took too long because once she gets there, the warlock grabs her. But she does make the smart move and just start like beating the hell out of his arm with the yeah, just holy beating the shit out of him with the hammer, with the blessed hammer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I've actually it is called a it was a blessed hammer is what the what Redfern calls it. But in my notes, I have it called the holy hammer. <laughs> so this is what my notes say. Who can do Way it? Way better. So. Yeah. So when she's anyway, she's she falls down after she gets him to let go of her and she's dejected until she sees that the bracelet uh, is on the hammer now. So she must have hit him in the arm hard enough to, like, get the bracelet off. Fucking David Copperfield shit hitting like it's like the ring trick. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Just transfer it. Sense. It's like, yeah. None of, that, none of this physically makes sense. But the important thing is plot wise, it was time for her to be young again. So they can stop wasting their time in this very fake looking makeup. Right. Um, so what's next? Um, uh, oh yeah, she gets, uh, we get back to the old Mennonite is being given his, uh, instructions on how to avoid being dead. Uh, he has like a little mobile of bronze keys hanging above him. And what? And spin it clockwise every hour. Again, yeah. this guy's just like <laughs> making shit up on the fly again. More rules. Yeah, more rules. Like, do this every hour and then you'll be good. By tomorrow, you'll be able, you'll stop bleeding. Stick, stick your finger in your ear and spin this clockwise for two two minutes every hour. Yeah, it, it all sounds made up. But in any case, he's giving him instructions. And then, uh, you know, at that point, you know, Cassandra's arrived, but he doesn't see her yet. And he's giving like a whole excuse. Like, if I could save but one life. I had to take the chance, you know, something like that, like take something away from this warlock jerk. And then she's cool with it because she's young again. And, uh, Redfern does not even take one second to acknowledge no. this. Just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's like, cool. All right. Anyways. Um, <laughs> but then when they get back to her car, uh, she tries giving her keys and credit card to Redfern. It's like, here you go. Finish this yourself. I got my bracelet. I got mine or whatever. Uh, she's like, what did she say? He's like, you've watched me drive enough. You're good enough at it. You'll figure it out. Yeah, you knew more than I did when I started. Yeah, it's like, and that can't be true. That simply cannot be true because you've lived your entire life in a world where automobiles existed. This dude was riding a horse the other day and here he hasn't seen a single one. Oh, no, that's not true. There was some at the farm. But, um. But then Redfern sweaty. is like they trying were to sweaty though. So that's true. Yeah. Not like his horses. Uh, but that, this is where like Redfern is like really trying to guilt her. It's like, don't you understand if he gets the book, it will reveal the true name of God, which when spoken in reverse will cause the undoing of all creation. It's like, Whoa, dude, that's the first we're hearing of this. Yeah. That was a crazy yeah. leap. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? You can just go around saying that we'll learn the true name of God. And then when said in reverse, we'll just like ruin everything. Well, it's like, um, if that was possible, then why didn't they just do it the first time when the book was there? Yeah. When the, when the book was one and someone like at some point, like witches had to have had it. Right. I guess then they wanted to like, see how things played out. But <laughs> in any case, uh, then we get, what is it? Cassandra's afraid because she's, uh, for some reason convinced 
that next time the warlock will just straight up kill her. It's fair. I I think she thinks because of like the ha- nailing, hammering, hammering the nail into her his head and feet. Yeah, upset her, him or her roommate or the boy's skin that he took off. Well, yeah, but he hadn't killed her immediately. So, but this time she's convinced that he will. Right. And that might be the death stare he gave her while he's riding the train. If you remember that, yeah. Like he's just staring out the side of the train car, looking at her while it like drove away. But in any case, she thinks that she's going to be murdered. Probably correct. Um, but um, she opts to you know do it anyway. So she's like, but she wants to get ahead of things uh, at this point. So Redfern, while she's driving, he's concerned because they're traveling north rather than east, mm-hmm. which is the direction that he had clocked the warlock going. And this is what Cassandra says. I want to start playing leapfrog instead of tag, like get ahead of him. Yep. Which um, Redfern does know leapfrog exists. He knows it as leaping frog. Is this true? Did leapfrog exist back then? I don't know. I didn't do the research on that because I didn't care enough, but now I care a lot. But anyway, we don't have time for that because um, they're going to a uh, airport. And Cassandra is trying to convince Redfern to check some baggage uh, because they won't let him on the airplane with what his whip and knife and all of his items. Uh, and then uh, she's being really cagey because she says she says to him that he they won't let him have that on board. He's like, on board what? <laughs> like, he doesn't know what's going on, but she's trying to get him on an airplane. So this is before 9-11. So he could have some weapons uh, in baggage, at least. <laughs> Uh, and this is the part where you were talking about where she goes to pay with her credit card. And then when the, uh, the, uh, you know, a, whatever attendant or whatever it is, 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 uh, distracted. She unplugs the credit card machine, <laughs> which works when they just make her pay with another system. If like, yeah, like, I don't yeah know. that is like, oh, I, you know, I guess we'll just write. No, I guess they would write down the credit card number. And then isn't that how you do it? If like a credit card machine went down, you'd write down the number and then charge it later. I think so. I feel like I worked somewhere in retail where I had to do that one day because our credit card machine went down. Bookstore? Yeah, it might have been in the bookstore I worked in. Yeah. Uh, was it that long ago? What year was that? It's only like... 13. Oh, it right? was almost... It was about... That's when I started working there. It was 13 years ago. Yep. Ow. <laughs> anyway, back to what I was doing before I realized that my mortality exists. A decade twice in a day. <laughs> Um, so at that point though, uh, like Redfern realizes that they're about to go on an airplane. <laughs> Cause like, what? he's like, you want me to go on with one of those roaring monstrosities or whatever? He's like, he's like very, he's like approaching, like sees airplanes and he's clearly just terrified. He tries to use like only witches could fly in my age or whatever. He's like trying yeah, to right. make a thing of it. It's like, come on, man. You're just afraid. Get out of here. He's like, I don't blame you. I've never been on an airplane, but I'd. Don't think I'm not going to use the excuse that it's evil. I'm just scared of it. Um, and that wait, wait, oh, wait, you've never been on an airplane? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, not yet. Crazy. I will one day, I'm sure. You're probably gonna have to. I mean, inevitably, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to go somewhere sometime. But as of yet, I've, I've been able to drive everywhere I've wanted to go. The only one that was really a challenge was when I drove to the Florida Keys. Oh, Christ, <laughs> that was a long day. It's like a three hour flight. <laughs> or four hours yeah it took me like 18 hours to get to like saint augustine i think it's crazy and then i crashed and then i drove the next day the rest of the way you slept you didn't crash your car so everyone's not worried about you 
Oh no, I went to a Days Inn. Yeah. I had a Walmart next to it and I had to buy sneakers because I forgot to bring sneakers with me. I only had dress <laughs> shoes on. Well, they weren't dress shoes, they were like loafers, but still not exactly Florida Keys footwear. Did you search the thither or thither? I, I searched thither and then also thither. thither. Yeah, yeah. I did not go hither. There's your problem. That was what I did wrong. But anyways, um, and that then, then uh, whenever they're going to get ready to go on a plane, and I think she finally, I don't know if she ever really talks him into going onto the plane, but he at some point stops putting up his objections. And then she realizes he saw the weather vane in his hands, which I don't know how she didn't notice that he was carrying the weather vane. It is not small. No, not at all. Yeah. So she's about to put up a fight uh, with him about this weather vane situation. But who does she see also at the airport? But the warlock. So she's like, all right, whatever. We got to go. And so they go onto the plane. Uh, she like what checks the gate behind them to make sure that he's not there. So she assumes they must have left him behind. Um, and then what the flight attendant offers to take the weather vane from, <laughs> from Redfern is like, you can have it over my rotting corpse. And then she like, it's like, oh, it's a family heirloom or something. But then the lady does take it. Um, but yeah, when they're in the airplane, you know, we have a fun moment of like Redfern freaking out about uh, being in the, in the sky. He's like looking out the window and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But what does he see? But some signs of witchery cream is spoiled. Flames that burn pure blue, which is a new one. We didn't know that one yet. He insists the warlock is there. And that's when uh, Cassandra reveals it's impossible because they left him behind at the airport. And, uh, you know, obviously Redfern is pretty pissed that she didn't say anything about him being there at the time. But she, again, is convinced that there's no way he could be there. But in order to make sure that they are certain, there's a lengthy search sequence, which turns up nothing except an awkward situation where Redfern opens a toilet door and an old lady is in there, which is uh, pretty alarming. And then there's a very quick uh, Cassandra gets like a barefoot old guy scare, right? Like an old mm-hmm. guy with bare feet is coming down. And at first she thinks it might be the barefoot uh, warlock. But now it's just a guy who decided to be barefoot on an airplane. Just a guy who doesn't understand etiquette. <laughs> yeah, just some guy being barefoot on an airplane. Just the huge. Um, so yeah, turning up empty. Uh they meet back up and uh, Glenda or uh, Cassandra says it must be Glinda the good witch or something like that. Mm. Uh, a little joke she makes that she must know that he has no idea what Wizard of Oz is. And he just like has a moment of like good witch. And he's just like puzzling over it and tapping his feet. But we follow his feet and we go down into the, like, the uh, baggage area. And what's down there? The warlock. It's a warlock. <laughs> Doing bullshit orange Sorry, magic. I, he is doing more boy, bullshit animated orange magic for no reason in the in the cargo and, hold and loving it. Oh, he's having a great time down there. Like this man has never never been happier. And I think he also takes out another thing of flying potion because he like takes out something right to drink. Yeah, because let me tell you, he's gonna burst the hell out of there. Because once they land, uh, the baggage guys open up the, the like the baggage area. He just like flies out of there with a swiftness unseen. Uh, and they just take a second to look, look around, do a double take and just, you know, don't make anything of it. Um, so anyways, at that point, they're in a taxi uh, by they, I mean, Redfern and Cassandra, not the warlock. He's flying. Uh, so they're in a taxi on the way to the church. Um, Redfern gets in a fight with the taxi driver about the best route to take, which it seems crazy to me that the roads would be the same. <laughs> From 1691 until 
Yeah, you know, I mean, 1989. They're like twice the size or three times the size. Yeah, but so yeah, so like the the taxi driver, I guess, gives it up with some kind of uh, he gives up the fight, making some kind of remark about this is why everyone hates the Lakers. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go, nice little bit of jokes for us. So they get to the they get to the church, uh, and then there's a guy that he has a collar. I thought he was a priest, but I guess he's not a priest. He's just a pastor. I know there's different like denominations that have that but he also mentions clergy but i guess clergy is just like an all-purpose word i mean they're definitely protestants like from yeah i just don't know what the tradition is but yeah so they're definitely protestants so when they get there you know the the pastor he's he's locking up he's not gonna let let them in until redfern mentions the grand grimoire and that is like the magic word that the preacher is like gonna let them in or I guess I'll say pastor. I guess that's probably the best word to use for him. Uh, he waves to a pregnant woman in the other room who we learn later is his uh, wife, who's the one who is also in The Crow and mm-hmm. in Unforgiven. Um, so, yeah, the pastor like is talking to them, uh, reveals that the clergy know about it. Uh, they know that it was broken up and he knows that there's not a piece at the church. So that's like the all of the knowledge he's giving them at that time. Boom, doors fly open for no reason. Redfern is convinced that they were followed, that the you know the warlock is there. Again, uh, we get another instance of uh, Cassandra being wrong about something, but like insisting there's no way that the warlock could be there. Um, and then this is kind of a funny situation. So the pre or the pastor asks, you know, why they want the Grand Grimoire piece. And Redfern gives this like long speech about like the coming of age of the powers of misrule, the undoing of creation and the transformation of earth into uh, Satan's farting hole or something. Yeah. It was kind of weird. He gets like this very long speech. <laughs> like the pastor's like, uh, and then Cassandra's like, Hey, you asked, you needed to know. So, um, then yeah, then they go, uh, this works. And then the next scene is them in like some kind of records room with the pastor showing them, uh, the record of the Grand Grimoire, which he remarks that the language is kind of heavy, because again, every single one of the people have to like use the proper gravitas for this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but he reveals the locations. There's the slender hollow of a table used for communion, which we already saw. Uh, that was the one at Chaz's apartment or house, I guess. Yep. Uh, it was given to the Vicar with a ministry west of the Carolinas, which is the one that was in the Mennonite farmhouse. Right. And then the third one uh, might still be in Boston. And they know where it is because it's at a burial ground. I don't know why they say might still be in Boston. Uh, but then smash cut to Redfern and Cassandra uh, heading to the burial ground where the last part is. Redfern makes a little remark about how everything has changed, but he still recognizes like a turn of a street or something. I guess he's getting philosophical, but it doesn't matter because we get to the pastor and he's with his uh, you know pregnant wife in their place. They hear a rattling of the door when sudden warlock bursts in uh when he was rattling the door it knocked over a crucifix and luckily the warlock is at least a polite guest he picks up the crucifix and puts it back up yeah that like what what is it that the warlock says he says i would wish you good evening but that doesn't seem adequate or something like he's basically like yeah, i'm gonna wreck your night <laughs> yeah it's like i'm here to ruin your evening is basically what he's saying because again he talk he's the only person who talks like almost as confusingly as red <laughs> Um, but yeah, so the, the pastor is trying to get away with like saying, ah, warlock, I don't know what they were doing or where they're going under, I don't know anything about any pages, but the warlock, like the, the pastor's wife tries to walk by and the warlock like grabs her 
You're like, like what was she doing? I think she was trying to sneak by him, but it, like with the subtlety of like a freight train. Like she's just she's like also walking. pregnant. It's like huge and pregnant. It's like yeah, but like and also she's literally walking past the warlock. Thinks he's just gonna be chill. Like he's a warlock. He just magically opened your door. Uh, so yeah, he he grabs her and then like sits her down and he what like touches her belly in a creepy way and reveals that she's pregnant with twins and that they will be healthy and what well favored i think is what he says mm-hmm. the well he says one's a boy and one's a girl and they will be healthy and well favored uh and they will remain so as long as the pastor tells tells him what he wants to know uh and then what is it then the pastor's wife says stuart tell him or whatever and then that's when like the like the warlock kind of mocks him a little bit. It's like, tell me, Stuart, lest your children be born slugs of cold flesh. <laughs> like, oh, jeez. Uh, it's just, it's implied that he told them, told them, told the warlock what he wanted to know because the warlock will show up. Spoiler alert. Um, but yeah, so Redford and Cassandra uh, get to the graveyard. Uh, the, oh, they'd remarked earlier that it, uh, as long as the ground is still hallowed ground, then they won't need to do anything because the warlock won't be able to get it right uh get the last pages um and then he puts the weather vane into the ground and it sizzles and that's how they know that it's still holy ground well his blood was on it oh it did have the oh man that's why they were doing it i thought it was just because it was cold iron no it was the blood (laughs) oh man i feel like the dumbest kid at school all right yeah so yeah they saw the (laughs) sizzling of of the warlock blood so they missed that completely but yeah, so they, they're looking for a specific tomb. It's going to have a hex mark on it. Um, so they split up and go and look for it. Uh, Cassandra actually does find the tomb. Uh, Red Fern is like, ah, it's still bolted and the bolts are sound. We don't need to open it. Everything's fine. And Cassandra's like, whew, that's good. Let's move on or whatever. Like trying to cover up whose tomb it is uh, in a very awkward way. Like she's the worst at hiding anything. Uh, and why is it that she's trying to hide it, Shane? Um... Something about the Lakers. Yep, it's a, it's Kobe Bryant's too. Ah, oh, dude, you you know I made the I made the Julian Sands joke, and uh, yeah, you got the Kobe one. That's good. It was uh, it's our boy. Uh, oh my God, Red Fern's grave. His, you can't. You couldn't remember his first name. I can't you? remember his first name. It was something weird like it's Giles. Got yeah. There you go, Giles. Yeah, Giles. I assume that it's intended as a reference to famous uh, victim of the Salem witch trials, uh, Giles Corey. <laughs> Maybe. Wait, are you laughing like you don't know who Giles Corey is? No, but I mean, maybe because it, like he was a victim, but this guy's the hunter. I don't know. Yeah, but it's an old, it's like a I reference, it. man. Like it, witch, a witch related name. Anyways, it. yeah, it's Giles Redfern. I don't think it is because there weren't enough puns about it. I think they would have written that in. Well, you could have, yeah, I guess I could have done some more like more weight kind of stuff like he always wants yeah. stuff to be covered in rocks a duck <laughs> and the, all, okay and this is interesting because uh you know red friend is clearly upset about this and she's like trying to calm him down and doing the worst job of it that you've oh, you're ever probably not seen. even in there yeah it's like it's like well at least we don't have to open it so we didn't have to stare at your putrefied corpse or anything yeah, right yeah Christ. Like, chill out but he he does not take this idea well. He's having a he has a hard time with the idea of him being dead many times. It's like and she was like, you didn't expect like the live forever or whatever. Like Yeah, right. Like he's really not handling it well. Um, but while he's having his little freak out, uh Cassandra notices 
that there are a bunch of open graves and that they're moving graves from like one side of this fence to the other mm-hmm. or from one side of the cemetery to the other. And she learns that they're putting in some kind of, she says landfill, but I thought it said that they're putting in like a condo building or something. Yeah. I was kind of, didn't really get it. Yeah. The, the entire point is some of them, the graves are in the original graveyard and some of the graves are in like a different area that is not consecrated ground. Um, so they test it. They test the one side and then they test the side where Redfern's grave is and it doesn't sizzle. So no sizzle, no steak. It's not good. It's solid. It's regular ground. That's a good reference. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, this is where Cassandra, like, you know, makes some interesting uh, leaps in logic. Uh, she wants to open up the casket. She doesn't believe that Redfern's body will be in there because he traveled to the 20th century. So she obviously isn't familiar with like back to the future rules where you have to go back in order to like fulfill your place in history or whatever. Um, but uh, she can't be right all the time because his corpse is definitely in there. And <laughs> she tells him, uh, uh, you better not look. And he looks and sees his corpse and has another freak out. Like he, like I said, he's really not dealing with his own mortality. Well, he is not. Um, but then, yeah, she has to get the pages and not only does like the pages buried with like Redfern, they're in his hands. Right. So she has to like peel his fingers off it and his dead ass hands keep like breaking off as she's like moving the bones. She's like ripping his fingers apart. Uh, but yeah, she finally gets it. And, uh, Redfern's like, yo, we got to get these pages to hollowed ground. Uh, but at that point, the weather vane starts to spin and point upward. Um, and re- you know reveals that the warlock is flying in at him. Um, so uh, you know Redfern grabs Weathervane again, tries for another uh, another prize toss. He misses mm-hmm. this time though. So he what ha- splits the pages in half, gives half to Cassandra, takes half for himself. The idea being, you know, two targets. There's no way that the uh, warlock will be able to get them. Uh, while Cassandra's running, the warlock is trying to blast her with animated magic, but misses her and hits a gravestone instead. Um, and Cassandra basically gets immediately caught. I don't know why Redfern thought this would be a good plan. Like he's a warrior. He can defend himself. She's just some lady from this time who doesn't know anything about warlock powers. Um, so the warlock is torturing her with a pretty gnarly method. And I think it's for him to get revenge for what she did to him. Mm -hmm. He's like hammering nails into her feet, which is gross. Um, but it works. Redfern comes out. Uh, the warlock, you know, wording things as conf- confusingly as possible, says, I will like, give me what you hold for what I hold or whatever. And red friends like your offers light, bro, considering that what you have uh, will kill everyone. And she's just one person And the warlock, I guess, is trying to like put him on is like, well, you think the uncreation is real? Only the daft think about that being real or something like that, like kind of implying that the uncreation isn't real. Spoiler alert. It is his plan. So it is real, or at least, you know, in this, it is real. I don't think it is real in real life. Um, (laughs) But so the warlock is like, hey, I'm going to torture her to death while you cower on hallowed ground. Um, And then, uh, but he warlock taunts Redfern again, be like, yo, isn't she like Marion? You remember Marion, don't you, buddy? So, you know, hitting him in the wife, the wife place, which is a tender place for Redfern, as we know. And he's had an emotional day. He found his own body. This man's going through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Redfern does give up the pages, but then insists that they fight man to man. Like no, no spells, no flying, no magic. 
Um, and uh, the warlock at first like starts doing some magic. And he's like, "Yo, so you are afraid of me?" And he like basically convinces the warlock to do hand to hand combat for a while, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny uh, because he beats the bricks off of the warlock at first. Sure does. <laughs> so um, yeah, so at that point, yeah, they they they're doing some fight fighting. It seems like it's going really well. Uh, but Redfern, uh, what tries to use the hollowed ground. So he like grabs the warlock and like smashes his face into some holy dirt. But that, I guess the warlock thinks is cheating and then uses magic and puts it in Redfern's mouth. At which point he starts like throwing up like animated goo, I guess. I don't know how you describe that. Ectoplasm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's like just some like weird, like animation goo. He's just like spitting up. So it seems that our hero Redfern is out. Um, yeah, uh, Cassandra tries to do one more, uh, one more attack. She wraps the whip around the warlock's neck, but not very well. So he just like hauls off and throws her into some water that's nearby. Uh, but while she's crying, uh, crawling out, she tastes the water and gets an idea and she takes out her, uh, her, uh, diabetes needles. So she takes them out. What could she be up to? We'll find out. Uh, warlock does a pretty cool black metal poem. Uh, yeah. which causes <laughs> this is another one of his patented delightful poems. It causes the book to reform and then another lightning storm starts up and you tell it's supernatural because it uh, is not dangerous uh, and it's fake. Um, then the warlock uh, asks like once the book, once the book's together, he asks to uh, have it revealed the name of God. Um, you know, red fern again, tries to fight, but gets uh, t- tossed into his own casket and again, has a freak out. <laughs> like this man cannot grapple with the fact that he's dead 300 years later. <laughs> like, right. He's really struggling with this. Um, and then uh, there's like animated letters on the book. They're starting to form. Uh, we can't read them, but I guess the warlock can because he spends some time like taunting God. Like, I know thee, I know thy name, like just yelling and stuff like that. And then right as he's about to say the name backwards, uh, Cassandra like sneaks up behind him, shuts his mouth with her hand and injects him in the neck with two needles. And guess what's in the needles? Salt water. Salt water. That's why she recognized that the water she was in was tasted goofy is salt water. She's going to put it in them needles. And you know how much witches hate salt? Well, let me tell you how much they hate salt, Shane. They hate it so much that they start bulging out like crazy. They catch on fire, their flesh ooze everywhere, and then they explode into a desiccated bloody skeleton on fire on the ground, because that is exactly what happened. It didn't kill him. Well, I mean, he was pretty much dead, but he does do one last, like, uh, only for Redfern to stomp his skull into pieces. Stomped him. Yeah. So, yeah. And then he's dead. Or is he? I mean, he's not, because there's more movies, but. To us, he's dead. I'm trying to remember what it is that, that Cassandra said to him to let us know that it was salt water. Isn't she like, you know, I'm trying to see, try salt water, fuck brain or something? Yeah, something Because she can never say anything normal. Right. And she likes to say something with brain on it, right. whether it's banana brain. Salt brain. <laughs> salt brain. <laughs> um. Oh, yeah. But then uh, then at the end, it's, it's over. Redfern comes up to Cassandra and says that she is owed a debt that no one will ever know save for him. And she's like ready for a kiss. Cause she's seen movies before for sure. But instead he, what like kisses her eyes. 
It was yeah, it was weird. Yeah, this is like then, a bad first date kiss. This is yeah, this is a pretty terrible. This is a very awkward scene because she keeps going in for that kiss, and he keeps like avoiding it. Because then he's like, he's like, had we not been out of joy by time or whatever, uh, and then she like thinks I think another kiss is coming, and she like leans in. But then wind kicks up, and then she looks, and there's like an animated tornado, and he's gone. Literally he's ghosted. Like, yeah, literally, literally ghosted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So he's gone back, and he went back to the past, so he can die one day. Best but, breakup ever. Yeah. Seriously. But his tombstone changes, and it says, "What I, I shall remember you always till time and times are done." So she's like, "Oh." Then she turns and sees that the Grand Grimoire is still there, and she's like, oh. Yeah, she's like, shit. Yeah, I had to take care of that. But then our next cut is her dealing with the Grand Grimoire, and I think that what she does with it is pretty good. It is. Yeah. Kudos to her. Yeah, so we see her, like, digging in some salt and, like, burying it, and then when it, like, she gets into her car and drives off, like, like, it's revealed that she buried it at, like, the Bonneville Salt Flats, which is, like, what, Utah? Yeah all salt all the time no warlocks are getting that nope so yeah so she ends she ends on a high note pretty smart move and that my friend is warlock oh shit (laughs) so now what well as we know as we who do this know uh our next part is judgment category Judgment categories, of course, being where we judge uh, some categories on this. Uh, our new categories, as we know, last time we did change them. It is uh, we did story and writing together. So it's story writing, acting, effects, music. And with music, we include sound design. And then finally, cult factor. The cult factor being that little X factor that makes these movies so special. Um so yeah, let's start out with that story and writing. How, how are you feeling on that front? So we sir? forgot one thing. What's that? The McMurder of the movie. Oh yeah, we didn't do the McMurder of the movie. Do you want to go uh, go back and do that now? Yeah, I mean, we do our judgment categories. I think and we can do it wherever we want. It doesn't have. Like, yeah, I think section. I think now's a good place though because we didn't stop. We're in the middle. What's your favorite? Because I have one. Well, I told you mine was kind of controversial. Why is that? Because mine is actually the death of the warlock. <laughs> because that was gnarly as hell that was some metal shit that dude like like got injected with salt so you're bulging out like crazy his flesh like was he was on fire his flesh was sloughing off he falls apart into a desiccated bloody skeleton on the ground his little head tries to yell one last time and gets stomped out by redfern that was metal but i there's another one that i was considering too so if that was the one you were thinking of i'll hear it so i'll give you i'll give you the warlock death but Chaz going out with the thumb cut and then the tongue bite, like that was pretty. That was the other one I was yeah. I was with. If we'd seen a little more of the other ones, like Mary Warnov's like getting her oh, eyeballs sure cut out, pretty wild, yeah, yeah. And then like the seeing an actual little boy get murdered might have been cool too. 
Yeah, not but, on my list, but you know, <laughs> to each their own, I guess. Well, I mean, that is the thing. But yeah, like the the de- like the depravity and the cruelty of like the the way that like our man the warlock just wanted that ring, just right up and cuts his his thumb off, and then it's like, or it's not his thumb; it's his pinky, right? Yeah, it was a pinky. Yeah, ring. It cuts his pinky off, and then like while he's like screaming, like goes into like bite his tongue off and spit it into like a pan that was pretty wild yeah but I'll i give mean it to I, you though. the warlock one was pretty wild well that's the thing is like if if the mcmurder has to be like the murder of someone at the hands of the villain of the movie mm-hmm. then i would say that the the warlock's death doesn't qualify i think it's any death within the movie right because the he was murdered just he was the bad guy yeah this is something about that that murder of Chaz that really sets the tone for like who our warlock is. Cause it was like at first he was like perfectly cordial, yeah, almost vulnerable, like when he was like in Cassandra's room and stuff like that. And then he comes in and just like kind of asks like questions about like this ring and everything. And then just like, I need it, finger slice. What do you oh, feel? Yeah. No, I think I want to give it to the Chaz one. I think that, that that one's a little bit better off. All right. I think there's a lot of Chaz catharsis to the death of the of the warlock, but I don't think it really applies to what this project is. So yeah, did he actually I want to go die? Th- so it's like we also yeah, there's two more movies right. that suggest he did not. Whereas there are no more movies about Chaz. <laughs> he's great. He, he's gone. Yeah, poor Chaz. All right, Chaz, it is. R.I.P. to a real one. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Yeah, uh, now we've covered our McMurder of the movie, R.I.P. Chaz. Back to our judgment categories. Judgment categories. (laughs) All right, let's assign a letter grade to our categories. So now story slash writing. Mm -hmm. What are you thinking? So I'm going to say a couple of sentences and then I'll give my grade. So this felt like a sequel. I think that if they were, if they would have made a movie with... Julian Sands and Richard Grant, where they were like, where they killed that Marion, right? Or Marion, um, but used uh, Laurie Singer as Marion, right? And then tied it back into like, like why they traveled to that time to make it tie it together more. I think they could have had a first movie of like him getting caught, right? And then this would have been a good second movie where they went to the future. I know that's probably not a popular opinion, but. I feel like there was a lot of stuff that they wanted us just to accept at face value, which is fine, but I think they could have done a better job at kind of tying this together. But with that said, um, you know, I'd, I'd go a solid B like it's good. Like, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not bad. You know, I just don't think it, I don't think on, on a whole, I don't think it hits certain stuff for me. Right. So be again, you can always argue me out of that, but I just, to me, I think there were some plot holes that they could have done with another movie. No, I think, uh, I think B is, is fine. Um, I think that, yeah, it just kind of establishes that there is like this dogged pursuit on the part of red fern going after, uh, the warlock. And we don't understand until halfway through the movie, why he's so dedicated to this. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that part of the reason for like the kind of fast and loose rules is because if you think too much about it, it falls apart. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, here's this holy hammer. You just hammer his footprints and it cripples him. It's like, sure. Why the hell not? That'll be an interesting scene. Like they just kind of want to move through these because if you spend too much time, like analyzing it, it's silly. 
but like at the moment it's like kind of spooky but it, like yeah at the same time i remember they described this at one point in like as they went through it's like oh it's like terminator except mm. you know with like a warlock instead of a terminator like yeah except the warlock's not chasing them he's chasing a book they're chasing him right it's like a reverse terminator kind of so like it it did feel like one long like like chase sequence but like without the excitement of a chase sequence do you think um, flashbacks would have helped um no because i think the reason there weren't any flashbacks is probably because of budget right. doing a period piece is always way more expensive than doing a modern one as opposed to just doing a couple slick outfits and then modern times uh so no i, I don't know that flashbacks would have helped much because i kind of like uh one thing that might be a shortcoming for others but for me i was actually cool with it is the idea that we don't really know what's going on in the warlock's head. Like, is he going to show mercy? Is he going right. to be cruel? Is he going to be kind like, we don't know. We don't know what this guy's doing because his first interaction with Cassandra was positively cordial. Like she helped him lay down and he was fine with it. But then the next thing you know, he's like slicing up her roommate and right. biting his tongue out. Like, like this dude is like all over the place. Like I get the feeling if he didn't know that that kid was unbaptized, he might have just played his little football game with him and just moved on. But once he found out he was unbaptized, he's like, I'm going to boil you into some flight juice. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think that B is fair because I do think that it is kind of basic what, what's going on. And I do kind of wish one of the things I wish they'd done more at the story was actually do more with, like the fish out of water stuff. Yeah. Like these two guys being like men out of time. Like the warlock seems to adapt very quickly, almost effortlessly to like modern era. And like, and they don't really do much with like the moment they have like one good scene, which is probably one of my favorite scenes with Cassandra and, uh, and you know, Redfern, which is like them kind of going back and forth about stuff. And they just ended as quickly as it began, basically. Mm-hmm. Or like when he's like scared to be on a plane and he's scared when he's on a plane, like those are cool moments. Like they could have used more of those to make it more effective. I feel like, so I agree with you on B like, I, I think that it was solid, but I think they could have done more. Yeah, for sure. So next up is acting. I'm sure you have some thoughts on this. <laughs> I mean, I I think that on a whole, every it was good, right? I would probably say most of my gripes are with some of the writing. You know, they made her that way. Like it wasn't Laurie Singer's choice to to be say banana brain. Yeah, shit like that. But I felt like her lines out of everyone's felt like they were. Like when I, her scenes felt to me, like I was watching like a high school play, right? Like everything was like rushed. There wasn't a lot of cadence with like her like lines. So like her delivery was constantly like, like punched. It was just punched in there. Um, Like the police station stuff, like her retort to like their questions were like, kind of like that newsies kind of like feel like it was just like, oh, blah, 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 blah. like, it, you know what I mean? Like it was never, there was never any like space for her lines to kind of breathe maybe where, and then, and that could probably have been because she was acting with like Richard Grant or, and or Jolene Sands who are both very accomplished um, actors. So that could have been it too, where they're like, they had, they have such distinct ways of delivering um, dialogue that maybe it's just a, I don't want to say juxtaposition, but it's kind of like that, like with the old English, like Shakespeare speaking with her, like, Boston or not Boston, but her like wise ass kind of like sarcastic, you know, responses. So I don't know, but everyone else I thought crushed it. Like, I, I think they did a great job. 
Um, even like the Amish farmer or the Mennonite farmer, as weird as that was, like I think he did a pretty good job too. So I, I'd probably go like B, like high B, but like B or A. I'm going to go A on this one. Um, I do agree with you about the criticisms, you know, especially, you know, considering Cassandra, uh, what's her name? Um, Lori Singer's performance. Mm-hmm. I do think that there are times though, like the times that it's annoying stand out a lot, but yeah. there are times where I think it is a little bit more effortless and it does kind of fit in really well. For sure. And I think that especially towards the end, like whenever they're having their final confrontation and like, then we see like Redfern is like freaking out because he can't like deal with his own mortality. Mm-hmm. And she's like, bro, I've been doing this all day. Like get with it. Yeah. You right. know what I mean? <laughs> like at that point, like she's just kind of over it. So I think that she really grows as a character throughout it. Um, and it, her performance, I think adapts as it goes to like, as she faces more and more things and like goes through right. experience. Um, I do think that like her as like the foil to these two characters, but especially to Redfern does put her in a position where I think it was inevitable that she'd be more annoying and stuff like that. But the reason I say a though, is because like, not just, you know, making excuses for what she's got going on, but like, man, Julian Sands performance in this, everything he says is just devouring the scene. Mm -hmm. And like the, like, like, uh, yeah. Like Richard E. Grant's like, like gravitas, like carries through, even while I don't know what he, like why the hell he's talking like that? Like it doesn't matter. Like this is a man like who's seen some stuff and he's like going for it. So it's like between like those two, I feel like I have to give it an A just because like I could watch like I almost want to watch the second one just to see Julian Sands doing this more. I didn't, I wasn't like the biggest fan of this movie. I've never been like I've always like enjoyed it, mm-hmm. but like this I the what keeps me coming back to it is Julian Sands. Yeah, I think he did a great job. And he was very, like you said, he had a presence, right? The the posture, um, like he did a lot of like uh, character acting, right? So it wasn't, he wasn't just delivering lines. He was delivering like a feel for scenes, which I thought was cool. Um, especially uh, like, I think they, we'll get to this in the, the effects, but like, especially in that attic scene when they're in the house that was, had the hex on it, you know, him coming up like kind of floating from the ceiling and down. Like he had a very like imposing like, um, stature. So I, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll see the a for sure. Yeah. Well, even the scenes where he's alone too, like where he's just kind of doing something, he like still like, you can like read that, like there's something going on here. Like he's experiencing something like, yeah. So I, I kind of like, even if it was just, just Julian Sands, I'd be like fighting for that. A, but the fact that Richard, you know, Richard E. Grant's over here doing his thing, like just like, you know, full throatedly believing in this idea of here's a blessed hammer. Here's my witch, witch compass. Here's a weather vane that I'll use to right. stab a guy with and carry it on an airplane in a pre 9-11 world. Like all these things that he's doing just like with full, like just belief in it is just so interesting to see. Yeah, his delivery was on point. Like there there wasn't like <laughs> you like he he did a good job. You believed what he was saying. It's like, oh, nail the ground because the blah blah blah. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah. I get yeah. that. And then the like, scenes like that are the ones that I think that you know Lori Singer really uh thrives in because she's out here like trying to hammer like these footprints and like I believe that this is a person who believes in this idea. Like, you know what I mean? Right. 
It's like, even if I don't think her delivery is the greatest, I think that her physical acting is quite good. So I, I, I want to give it an A. I feel, I feel like we can see that. Yeah, a. that's fair. Yes. Now, here we go with effects. I do not feel like I can give this an A. No, and I, I'm even hard-pressed to give it a B. Um, yeah. The death, like his death is great, but the shitty like green screen flying crap, like the, I just, it really, it really killed it for me. I think if they would have had the budget to show a few more of those kills, I would, I'd go higher. But for me, this is like a C. Um, and this is like a perfect example of how not to do the computer generated graphics with like the magic and stuff. Yeah. That animation was fake. Yeah. Fake, fake, fake. You know, and you look at Mary Warrenoff's <clears throat> like when she's possessed, like, yeah, it was good, but it was like, okay, they put fake teeth in there and then gave her some prosthetic makeup. I mean, prosthetic and some makeup. Like, w- like, what are they doing that sets them apart? You know, and not even to get started on like uh, Lori Singer's old age makeup, which is just right. Yeah, exactly. Simultaneously too old and also too fake. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. No, I, I, I'll give you, I'll give it a C. Like, I think that that, and almost the only reason I'm willing to even not drop lower than a C is just because of the strength of that final confrontation. Like, it feels like they really saved their whole, like, <laughs> like, like strength for that very last scene. Right. Like the, like the flight looks good in there. Like the effects still look kind of goofy, but they look better there. Like, it really feels like, and then you got his death, which looks in- amazing. It really feels like they saved like all their juice for the end. And then I they agree. just like shoot it all over us at the very end there. So, so. solid, uh, solid reference. Yep. So, so yeah, I would say C is, is fair for effects. Like you hate to see it, but yeah, this is really, I feel like a movie more about the personalities involved than it is about the effects. So. Right. But like, so like that, that almost would make more, like, I feel like the, this would have done better. I don't want to say shown less, but like if, like, if like this could have been a movie where it could, you're right. It could have been personalities. They could have gotten away with him not doing all that violent stuff. Right. Um, I don't know if it would have done well, but I think it could have been one of those like uh, like a dialogue based kind of movie where it's more um, actors playing off each other like a psychological horror instead of a uh, like a shock, like, you know, like losing a thumb or something like that or pinky. Yeah. Sorry, I'm the one who put thumb into your mind. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so uh, what do you think about the music? Um, You know, like granting that it is clearly lower budget so they went with a you know obviously synth kind of like like artificial music thing yeah i actually liked it quite a bit i thought that the music fit really well it had this kind of like old-timey rpg thing to it which i i mentioned that earlier because i kind of want to get get ahead of that idea because i actually like that music like i think it has there's a lot of charm to it Mm -hmm. and if it had been if this had been a movie that was supposed to be like more realistic version of like like if this was like an A24 like period horror movie or something, you know? Like I would expect period accurate like music, but because we're dealing with a very different kind of movie, a very different era of movie, like I really feel like the music actually was very fitting for what it was going for. Yeah, I I love the I love the music. Yeah, I mean it's not a surprise to hear that like Jerry Goldsmith kills it in music, but Right. It is interesting to see know that like he's done so many bigger things and that like even with something as small as this he still like 
blows it blows it away. So I would probably have to go A on it. I just really like the music a lot. Yeah, I think that's a fair that's fair A's. I mean, the, I, again, and the sound design too. Like you could understand everyone. Everything was articulate. The sound effects were good. Um, you know, the, the magic effects they did, like when they were trying to use magic, they didn't take it over the top, which a lot of movies kind of mess that up. So, yeah, I agree. I was actually kind of surprised there wasn't a lot of like fully work that was too obvious. Like even during like the fighting scenes, like yeah. it was relatively muted. Like it wasn't like too extreme. So I was, I was surprised by that, which is, which is good. I think it played to the strengths of the characters because allowed, allowed their, um, again, their physical acting to kind of come through rather than being over like, you know, like the scenes like overtaken by like loud, like, like, psh, 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 like, you know, like the bams, the pals, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. So yeah, yep. a on that. Aye. And then a, and last <laughs> <laughs> last is our cult vector i'd say this is a hard one i'd say the cover art alone probably an a um the box art on the on the vhs i i remember this distinctly as a child as well i mean look i, I think you have some really cool kills you have a really cool premise is it fleshed out no but like at the same time it didn't it didn't have to be i think I think us wanting more of this is how they got the sequel and I haven't seen the sequel. So I'm, I'm going to watch it soon. I'd go, I'd go a here. I, I think it's, I think they, they hit a lot. They checked a lot of boxes off. They had some shortcomings with effects and stuff, but I think the, I think the premise alone kind of helps carry it through, but we're, we're usually pretty lenient in this category, but you could argue me to be pretty easily. Uh, no, I'm going to stay on a and I'll tell you why, why? Julian Sands. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. He's so, yeah, he's so like, I don't know. It's just such a, it's so funny to think of him because, um, I first saw him in anything probably in like Smallville, but like, and he was very much not a villainous role, but like, I feel like this is the role that like now, anytime someone brings up Julian Sands, I'm like, oh yeah, you're talking about Warlock, right? The Warlock from Warlock. Yeah. Like it's like such a move, like such an interesting, like, and like his physicality and his like charisma and everything is like i don't know not a lot of movies uh are like this and that's not to like shortchange like i said i've talked i've talked up richard e grant but you know it's not called uh redfern it's called warlock so that's why <laughs> so, right so yeah i definitely i definitely give it give it a for cult factor you gotta you gotta give it up for julian sands but even richard grant ha- yeah r.i.p um even richard grant has played a lot of villains over the years or or less than savory characters. Um, so I th- to me, that's where I know him from. Some of those uh, titles. So it's kind of cool seeing him play like kind of the hero in a movie. So yeah, I, I think um, those two alone kind of really push it over the edge. Yeah, yeah. Just the interplay between them and stuff like that. Like yep. So yeah, A for Cult Factor, Julian Sands, baby. Well, speaking of Sands. There's a D in Sands, and you know what else is a D? No, <laughs> what? In the D roll. <laughs> D 
the D <laughs> You like how that was like my transition? It's like there's good. a D in Sans, and guess yeah. what else is a D? There you go. That's why I'm that's why they pay me the big bucks. Uh yeah, but the D roll is of course our final hat on a hat. Like, you don't really need to do this. You already did all those categories. Why are you doing another thing? We're doing it. And this is where we slot it into one final category, which is cult classic, B movie, grindhouse, or trash. Which hopefully we never do trash, unless we purposefully choose to do trash just to show what trash is. It's fair. Stern. Stern but fair. Stern but fair. What are you feeling? Uh the I mean, I really feel like I'm just doing too much Julian Sands. <laughs> Every time I think of Julian Sands, I think it has to be cult classic because that's the reason that I watched it to begin with. The reason that I well, the reason I watched it to begin with was because I saw it in the video store and it had that dope shadow thing going on. Yeah. But like I listen like I listen to some podcasts sometimes and sometimes people bring up Julian Sands <laughs> and it's always in the context of Warlock because this is like <clears throat> the one. Right. The this is the thing. And uh, to me that's like part of what cult classic is. It's like this like infamy, like this like what do you know Julian Sands from? It's like arachnophobia. Oh, he's great in that. But I know him when he was doing warlock powers from when he was a warlock. So I'm leaning towards cult classic. You could probably talk me to B movie, but you have to you have to act better than Julian Sands does to to convince me. Well, I'll look hither and you look thither. Um no, I think <laughs> Except he doesn't say hither. Yeah, you're right. Thither. thither and thither. Tither, I don't even know how to say that. Thither. Um so I think what is hard for us is a lot of the movies that we choose have great special effects. And I think this is the first one that we've really encountered that was a good, was like everything else was good and the effects weren't. Usually it's the other way around. Like the effects are great. And then there's like, you know, we kind of forgive some other stuff. So I think, I think for us, like we're trying to, I I can hear in our voices, we're trying not to give this cult classic because we're like trying to be fair. But at the same time, like, if you look past the terrible flying effects and, you know, we could go through a litany of things that didn't really work. Like it's still, it's still really good. Like, I mean, like I said, it's not like perfect, but it's still a pretty good movie. It's a cool concept. Um, you know, I, I, I have no issues with it being a cult classic. And then I, I'm going to watch the second one and I'm, and I'm kind of curious to see if this is hurt by having a, something come after it, because sometimes these, these, movies are so good just being a one-off like experience right um so i'm curious to see how they flesh out the world of warlock you know because julian sands is in the sequel so um definitely excited to see what what kind of comes of that but um yeah i'd say cult classic but you make actually a really good point because i was like like what you were saying i was kind of talking to myself and they're like, well, the, the the strength of the acting can't be enough to like make it a cult classic, right? But here's the thing: if like the strength of like effects are so great that they can override maybe subpar performances right. or something like that, why the hell can't an amazing performance of Julian Sands be enough to be like, yes, this is a cult classic? Because Julian Sands, he's right. in there. Watch him gleefully read a book; it's great. <laughs> like, watch, watch this man. Cut a man's pinky off and then fry his tongue. Watch out. It's Julian Sands, baby. <laughs> so, yeah, no, you're right. That this I, I don't know why I was trying to talk myself out of it. 
it's definitely a cult classic. You heard it here first, folks. Julian Sands in Warlock. You heard it here first. You heard of this movie here first. No one's ever <laughs> heard of this movie. We did it. We did the thing. We did. We we brought attention to this little known film. Man, the, they have a photo on IMDb of him dying. The like the, the warlock character, and it's gnarly. The still shot. Sorry, it is a sick death. Like it's honestly one of those. This like probably, I don't know. Like definitely like top ten villain yeah. deaths. I would say. Like well, I mean, I might think. I might. Think yeah, no, that, that's in stone now. No, no. I was an issue an apology yeah. next next episode. It's like, hey guys, I went through my top my top ten deaths, and I guess what? I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. Yeah. What? Yeah. Well, good. I think that brings us to our ending yeah. here, right? What do we do next? We are going. Is it nineteen eighty four? Uh, eighty five, I believe. And the name escapes me because I forgot because you messed up my name on the on the date. Son of a bitch. <laughs> You talking about Life Force? Thank you, Life Force. <laughs> yeah, so next up we have Life Force. Toby uh, Hooper's own Life Force. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I haven't seen this. Um I love sci-fi. So I'm I'm pretty excited. And you kind of warned me a little bit. You're like, "Look, if you don't like it, it's going to be a tough watch, but I think I'll be okay." Like I, I like those older sci-fi movies, so if I could sit through those, I can sit through this one. Well, uh, yeah, and we talked about this beforehand, but I'll kind of warn the audience as well. It's a longer one. Like, this one's, like, just shy of two hours. Most of our movies, I think up until Warlock was our longest until this next one. Warlock was about uh, an hour 40. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, like, yeah, coming up on Life Force here, we're going to be looking at, you know, I think it's, like, uh, an hour 55, like, literally just shy mm-hmm. of two hours. But it's an interesting movie. It's a very interesting take on like the vampire genre. Um, I think it's underappreciated for what it does. Uh, you know, Toby Hooper, best known for you know Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, but I really do think that this was, even though it was not successful at the time, um, I really think it's a, a interesting movie, and I think that people will enjoy it. But yeah, so it's on Tubi. Um, so jot that down <laughs> it all it it isn't always we are going to have a time where it's not on tubi but we're going to try to avoid it and that was kind of what led us here today was we were trying to find something that was on tubi um it's also on roku channel pluto tv um i believe that it is on uh, amazon prime but i'm not sure if it's on if it's free or if you have to pay to rent it because it doesn't always tell us but i know you can get it for free for sure on both pluto tv and on uh, Tubi, so should be easy to to find. So initially, so Stefan let me pick uh, the next movie, and I had two choices, and both of them are not free on anything or or streaming. <laughs> so you'd have to either buy it or rent it, and I don't even think the one you can rent. So we initially were going to do Ghost Town, and then we after figuring out that it wasn't. Um, really readily available we we said okay let's do near dark and that one also is not on any service but i promise those two are on the list and as soon as they hit like Tubi or something that we can um because we we want we want you guys to be able to watch this with us um so as soon as they pop up on some kind of channel or, or anything or service we will uh put them in the rotation 
So, um, yeah, even if it's just like a service you have to subscribe to, I don't think that's yeah, right. as bad. Like, like even if it was like on Shutter, like it would suck to have something that's like only on Shutter. But you at the same get a free time, trial like, or something, right? Yeah, there's free trials and stuff, so it'd be easy right. enough to do as long as we don't do that too often, which Correct. we're gonna obviously try not to do. But like the fact that those aren't on anything is like ridiculous, especially yeah. near, near dark. Like Catherine Bigelow, like that's one mm-hmm. of the best vampire movies. Like, it's kind of crazy that's not streaming anywhere so like we'll keep an eye out too um and i'm kind of worried about that as we move forward is that some of these movies are going to drop off of like tubi or drop off of pluto tv and then they might be harder to find um so i'll try to keep an eye on that on our backlog so i can warn people as we move forward right uh you know what to look back on so and you know so we're midway through september um i know you had uh something that like we wanted to like we had another block we wanted to do for october so, so why don't you uh why don't you intro that yes i shall and i can and i will um yeah so uh i've been trying to come up with like a, a little block for us to do uh for the spookiest of all seasons which is halloween um <laughs> we only yeah uh, we can't do anything as big as like the summer tri slashathon because uh, we had an entire summer we only have uh two episodes that will be happening in the month of October and let me see if I can get the release dates for those. So technically we were supposed to release an episode on the 13th, but we were late on that. And the 27th is one after it. So after the 27th of September, we will have the 11th and the 25th of October. So <clears throat> those will be like our uh, Halloween season episodes. Um, you can't see that. I was doing air quotes, but I just realized no one can see me because this is an audio medium. So whoops. Anyways, um, we decided to create a block of uh, two movies that I have affectionately dubbed uh, the Samhain season devilish duology because I love alliteration. Anything better than one alliteration is two alliterations. Uh, so yeah, for the Samhain season devilish duology, we'll be picking two films uh, that either involve demons or devils in some manner. Um, I have a couple movies in mind. <clears throat> I'm not going to announce them right now uh, because, well, it might be subject to change because one of them looks like it's about to drop off Tubi, so I might have to scramble <laughs> to change <laughs> that. But um, but yeah, I have a couple of films in mind for uh, devil, devil or demon-related films. I think would be just the right amount of spooky for the Halloween season or the Samhain season, as I have called it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you'll know next next episode, not this one, the one after. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll definitely have to announce yeah. the next one anyway. But yep. yeah, I think that I might announce both at next episode just to get people in the mood. But cool. We'll see. We'll see how it works. I can't wait. I mean, I know what I know what they are, so I'm pretty excited. But you do know, yeah, you do know yeah. what they are. Just so everyone doesn't think that we are always flying by the seat of our pants like we did today to try to figure out what our next movie was. Uh, we we usually have them planned well in advance. Well, I think um, I think that's all I had. I don't. Do you have anything else you want to share with the share with the group? Well, no. Kind of wish I did, but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did play a lot more of that Texas Chainsaw Massacre game. It's very scary. Yeah. Sick. Yeah, I was I was doing mostly being killer because it's like way less scary when you're the killer. 
Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. It, what's crazy about the game too, it's in like broad daylight. So, which also makes it terrifying. Not all that the house time. is so big too. Yeah. It's crazy. But I'm always just running around feeding grandpa blood. Give that grandpa that blood. To people who haven't played that game, that sounds like nonsense. But basically, one of the parts of the game is when you're a killer, you get these little blood bags and you feed them to the old grandpa and he has the ability to tell you where the victims are. Nice. It's like, it's strategy, you see? Just like real life. Just like grandparents in real life. <laughs> you feed them blood and they'll tell you where your victims are. It's just, it's just math. Science. Or science. <laughs> definitely STEM. All right, well... On that note, I think uh, I think that'll about do it for us. Uh, please don't give your elderly uh, relatives blood. Don't do. Well, I mean, unless they need yeah, it unless they like, need it. <laughs> yeah, unless they need so it to be like transfused. Don't give them like <laughs> weird bags of blood that you've collected. Yeah, don't feed it to them when you found it around your old farmhouse in Texas. To help you find your victims. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't do that, please. So, yeah. Well, I've been Shane. <laughs> I've been Stefan. Keep it spooky. <laughs> spooky. <laughs> Later. See you.